Episode number 62 starts this way, August 31st, 2018. I'm reading you the headlines from a uh, San Francisco ABC affiliate. Okay. Teen girl's accidental airdrop of fake crime scene photo delays Oakland flight to Hawaii. Wow. I didn't even, th- I thought you, you kind of suggested that this was like a new technology. This is like a year, more than a year old. Yeah, I don't airdrop. know if it's new. It's new to me because I've only had an iPhone for 10 months. A Hawaiian Airlines Maui bound flight was brought back to the gate <laughs> at Oakland International Airport after it had already begun taxiing due to a photo airdrop mishap. 15 passengers received a photo they thought was a threat, and it turns out the photo wasn't real. Hawaiian Airlines Flight 23 was supposed to take off at 7 a.m., but was delayed nearly an hour and a half after 15 passengers received a picture of Dan Marino. No, no. <laughs> you imagine? <laughs> oh, God, that'd be so funny. <laughs> of a mock crime scene with a nylon beanbag-type mannequin. Passengers viewed that, uh, viewed that picture, believed that that picture was threatening, alerted the flight crew, who in turn notified the pilot. As it turns out, it was a 15-year-old girl who was trying to airdrop a mock crime scene photo to her mother. So I, already I'm a little confused because I thought I had the, techno- the grasp of the technology. She yeah. was trying to airdrop something to her mother. But why not just text it? Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. I, I thought that I understood. I guess I don't understand. Yeah, I guess I don't either. I don't know why she wouldn't <laughs> just text it. <laughs> I don't know. What the? Oh, wait. Maybe this will make you. This is a year. This is a year ago, August. Maybe this will make you hesitate the next time no. you decide you want Don Shula on the phones <laughs> of twenty people in the subway system at uh, SeaTac Airport. Did you see the text I got from the guy at Anaheim? He was at like a trade show in Anaheim. You didn't. Did you see? I think you were included on that. On that. Email tweet. or tweet? It was a tweet. Yeah, I think it remind me what he said. All right, I'm going to find it say? really quicker. He was at a convention in Anaheim. Yeah. And he said. Spent the last two days at a trade show in Anaheim. Thousands and thousands of people. I was airdropping random pics the whole day, and we were laughing <laughs> yeah, like I children. That. I saw that. <laughs> People's saw faces that. are hilarious to watch. <laughs> Eric Bergstrom sent that. I think so. it's all in what you airdrop, right? Yeah, you don't want to like, be creepy. You yeah, you don't, don't want to be like, crass yeah. and crude and yeah. disgusting. Because if people get it, it's like they know that you're in that little area, right? You, yeah. you got you got to be pretty close to them to airdrop them, right? So they know yeah. that you're kind of in the immediate vicinity, right? That's right. And, yeah. and now I think about it, maybe you don't need the internet to airdrop. I don't know. So if you're on a plane, you can't text or unless you buy the internet. I don't know. So maybe that's why she was airdropping. She was trying it. to airdrop and she ended up airdropping to- all these different people <laughs> and the phone got in the in the plane got delayed and there was a, a major oh, airline crisis. So I want you the next time Isotoner gloves. <laughs> yeah comes to your mind to uh to air jump i think you should uh, hesitate and say hey where am i and could i get could i get in trouble for this could i delay like 144 passengers on their way to hawaii for a nice vacation yeah i'll be more careful i guess moving forward please do i was gonna do the uh, the old ex uh uh, wwf manager slick a current picture of him that i had on my phone for some reason i don't even know who that is oh you didn't watch wrestling okay no all right i I know dust the roads that's the road, baby yeah. doll, like an old pair of That's shoes. the road. She's already been walking. I remember that when I used to get up, we didn't really watch cartoons as kids. I was kind of hmm. abnormal that way. I think we slept late or we weren't allowed. I, I thought we, I, I'm sure we weren't were allowed, allowed to watch yeah. cartoons. But when I would put it on on Saturday morning, 
there would be this in West Palm Beach. There would be, be this show. I think it was a local show. Like a local but, territorial wrestling? I think. Yeah. But Dusty Rose was always oh, wow. on. He was always at the West Palm Beach Auditorium. And I just remember, <laughs> I remember that it was a huge deal when Andre the Giant like one time a year would come to the West Palm Beach Auditorium. It was a huge deal, literally yeah. and figuratively. Yeah. He uh, put butts Mean in- Gene was the, was the, Mean Gene was the announcer on this particular, maybe it wasn't an, uh, a local broadcast. I think it might have been because Vince McMahon went around and pulled like the stars from all the territories. That's what he did. Oh, he did. And then would bring so them to New York. So is it possible that Duff DeRodes was yeah, a, very. the American dream was a, uh, Yes. Was it like a Florida guy? Is yeah. that possible? Florida Atlantic Territory maybe, maybe. or something. How do you like the way I've started episode 62? I want to talk there about Dusty Rhodes ba- for the was, next hour. There, believe there, me. there wasn't any football this weekend, was there? <laughs> oh, no, no local football, right? right? There was buys. <sighs> the Huskies and the Seahawks had bye weeks this week, week right? Felt they didn't like play. It, yeah. Episode 62, I'm supposed to tell you that it's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Mitch Unfiltered. Uh, I like podcast addict that's my new thing i'm an addict of podcast addict i think until i get the 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 capabilities of airdrop that's right uh oh and by the way i uh, by the way i before you get your head too swollen on the whole iphone mitch has to get an iphone thing i found out through a not only a text not a text an, an email from a listener or more than one that my handy dandy android android device also has apps available to scan documents. It's not just an iPhone huh. thing that my wife did. Just so you know. How's airdropping going for you? Well, I haven't looked into that, yeah. but I bet you they have <laughs> I bet some. They, have one. they yeah. must have something similar, right? Somebody made an app similar. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, people love to complain on social media. Oh, yeah, sure. You're just now finding that out? No, I knew that. Either brag people or you really, complain. really like to complain. The newest complaint that really pissed most complaints don't piss me off because when I read them, when they're complaining about me or the show or you, I got called or a moron. This, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you, you kill the vibe. Whatever yeah, it yeah. is, the show's no good. Go back to radio. You know, get off the air. Yeah. You know, do something else with your life. Where's Graz? I got that a lot yeah, I get, <laughs> when I work with gas. I got, <laughs> Hot shot sucks. Where's Graz? The truth of the matter is. <laughs> You know, the criticism hurts sometimes, but most of the time I look at it and I go, I agree with the guy. <laughs> <laughs> I do suck. <laughs> but every but every every once in a while I get a criticism that just gets under my skin. And I got one this week before we start the show, episode sixty two, and talk about the buys that Washington and the Seattle Seahawks had. I promote the additional patron shows more than I do commercials. And it's getting tedious how often I promote the patron shows. On the podcast or on Twitter? On the podcast. On more than the sponsors. I'd rather, quote, I'd rather hear him talk about the sponsors than he does the patron. He's always talking about the patron shows. Okay, this pisses me off. (laughs) This pisses me off more than the Seahawks dud egg that they laid against Mm -hmm. the Baltimore Ravens. This pisses me off more than the Huskies just going in the tank in the fourth quarter against our tribal Oregon. This just, because this is categorically, I could, I'd love to go to court on this. 100% (laughs) effing untrue. Okay. The truth of the matter is the most I ever promote the patron shows is right now at the beginning of each podcast one time and sometimes I forget so it's like it's almost like 75 25 three out of four I mention it 
and 25% of them, I don't, I forget to mention it. And But we, ne- after this is done, you can't find, I challenge anybody to find an episode. They're all out there, Mitch Unfiltered. Yeah. Find an episode where I promote the patron shows more than one time at the beginning. And the only reason I do it at the beginning is because there are some new people that hear about our Mitch Unfiltered podcast. Yeah. They're like, oh my God. I didn't even know they had a podcast and they, they tune in and I want them to know that there is some additional, there are some additional shows each week that are available on a patron basis. So I, that's the reason why I bring it up. <laughs> you really are fired up. About I am this. fired yeah. up. Yeah. You don't okay? have to justify it. It's your podcast. I, I, you can do what you want. That, it's not a question of justifying it. Right. I just want the facts to be the facts. Gotcha. If you want to criticize me for three out of every four shows saying something at the beginning to tell people that there are patron shows out there. There's more than just once a week. You want to criticize me for that? Have at it. That's fair. Don't start telling me that I promote the patron shows, the whole podcast, more than I even talk about our sponsors. In fact, when because you that said that is this. such bullshit. <laughs> when you said that, I wasn't even sure what you were talking about. I don't remember you ever okay. plugging the Have patron you heard, shows. Are, are you clear for- on how I feel? Are you clear on how I feel? <laughs> yeah, okay, so one last thing on the subject. Yeah. Go to MitchUnfiltered.com, click the Become a Patron. Yeah. <laughs> After all that. <laughs> <laughs> and you will have access to more shows throughout the week. That's it. That's the only one. That's all I'm yeah. going to say. So do you engage with people when yeah. that? So you write back. Yeah. Oh, I write. Well, you, yeah, you follow. I mean, you see, you see. There was a, there was a, a big thing on, on Twitter this, this week, the big social media thing, because I, I, I will retweet when people have criticisms or complaints. Yeah. And there's this one guy who constantly complains that I'm out of bounds, I'm over the line, it's wrong that I actually charge people to get extra podcasts, that all the podcasts should be free. And then when I promoted it, because the last one that we did, the 61P, which was really, really good. Oh, yeah. And only accessible through through Patreon. Sure. Um, It had Dean Blandino and Jason Lockenfour. And there's some people like Lockenfour and King who are old listeners of the radio show that I used to do, like, but they can't come on. King and Lock and Four right. can't come on on Sunday night for the Monday show because they're busy with of the course. NFL. So they are inevitably they're only on the patron show. So somebody was complaining bitterly on Twitter. You're out of bounds. The, the fact that you make me pay five dollars to hear Lock and Four, it's it's crap. It's total crap. And 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 the nice thing is I'll retweet that and I'll I'll say here's the way I feel about it. And I gave a, an, an earnest response of why I do what we do mm-hmm. and what the what the options and availabilities are. And for the most part, everybody comes to my defense. Like, yeah. who are you, dude? Uh, you know, it's first of all, it's five dollars. It's less than a latte yeah. at Carbuck, a at Starbucks a month, yeah. one month. And B, you don't have to do it. Right. If, if you want to do it, do it. If you don't want to do it, and why should Mitch feel obliged to give uh, everything? His well, sponsors should pay him. He shouldn't have to generate any revenue from patron shows. So people were complaining this week. It was a big thing. Well, it's the old line that if if somehow you cured cancer, people on Twitter would be mad at you about something that you didn't cure it soon enough, or it, no matter what, what you took do. you so long, yeah, you bastard. Exactly, Doctor Bastard. That's exactly what it would right. be. Yeah, I got a I got a message a uh, uh, tweet on Saturday. He didn't like my response on the whole FIFA thing. Oh yeah, and people are fired. Yeah, the one guy I think is fired. Called me a that. moron. Did he call you a moron? Yeah, oh. I heard your response, and boy, are you a moron. So I, I, I messaged him because I didn't really want to do it out in public. I, I don't know. I just didn't want I messaged him. I was curious because yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I he felt, was pissed off. I felt like he and I were 
probably feeling the same, but I didn't convey it correctly. So we had a few messages, and I kind of explained. Would you I, like to clean that up here on the uh, on episode so before we start episode sixty two? Clean what up and talk about the something that you may have said that you'd like to. Are you saying that it was you didn't articulate well? Maybe which which show was it? Was it this last sixty one P or yeah. was it sixty one? It was sixty one P. Sixty one P. Because we yeah. were talking about the interview on sixty one yes. about the women being allowed in the in yep. the soccer match for the first time in forty years. And right? He didn't like when I said that's the something about the. I took a shot at the far left. He didn't yeah. like that. Yeah, I know because he's probably over there. Yeah, maybe he is. And again, I was really just saying I don't like the hands-off approach. That's and I said I I've said on the show I lean left. I'm not trying to go after the left for anything. I've Are we making this po- is 62 political? Yeah, it sounds like it. But wait, 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 I just it sounds I like it, we're becoming political. I just so anyway, we had a few messages. He ended up saying I like your contribution. You know, whatever. Oh, uh, so we ended up making so you it up. kissed up and made yeah, it kissed remi- up, it, it kissed, <laughs> kissed and made up. He was nice. It so reminds I, me of a guy named Paul Nanos. Okay. Paul Nanos was a guy, and maybe this is a story for another day, but Paul, I'll say it anyway. Paul Nanos was a guy that I worked with in D.C. before I came, when I was a young, young, young guy. When we started that, you and I went through this. We started that radio station in D.C. They hired a lot of big name, big name guys, and then they hired a lot of young guys to try to help out. Like you. I was one of the young guys. Okay. And one of the other guys' names was Paul Nanos, and he convinced them, or they convinced him, or whatever. He was just a young, young kind of New Yorker Paul Nanos who would yell at you about anything. He would just scream at you about anything. He, they decided, or he decided, that he would be a good overnight sports radio host. That's what we actually were 24 hours oh, a day. Geez. We didn't go to syndication. We went 24. At 10 o'clock, Nanos would really? come on until like 5 o'clock in the morning. No sports he'd be on for, radio. He'd network? be on for like seven hours. Okay. <laughs> and I don't even know why I'm bringing this up because you told me that you guys kissed him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nanos' show every night, these people would call, and there was only like three or four or five people that were up that day. And we got, I told you once before, our ratings on that station, even though we had Kornheiser and James Brown and Kevin Kiley, where they were like 0.0. It was like a, it was like a religious station with no signal. Nobody could hear it. Nobody listened to it. So like the same three or four guys would call Nanos yeah. at night. He called himself Nanos at night, overnight. And he would just start screaming at the guy, and the guy would say, "And you, you son of a bitch, you have no go back to New York." And it would get really personal. And it would be it start with a sports issue. Yeah, you know the Yankees suck. What do you mean the Yankees suck? And these two, and it would go for like ten or 12, a full segment. Yeah. He would yell and scream at the person. The person would he would start yelling personal insults at the guy. The guy would start yelling personal insults, and then at the very end, he'd say, "Okay, I'll talk to you tomorrow night." Okay, bye bye. <laughs> What was the cartoon where they would clock in and then fight each other? It was like the remember the old sheepdog and Wiley e. Coyote. Maybe. They would clock. Yeah, hello, Sam. Yeah. They would clock These in. These two guys would <laughs> yell and scream and say the most vicious, nasty things. Yeah. And then at the end, he says, "Okay, Tony, thanks for calling. We'll talk to you tomorrow night." Okay, bye bye. God. Uh, anyway, zero come, point zero. Zero point, but nobody heard it. I heard it. Uh, coming up on episode sixty-two, the Seahawks, the Huskies. Uh, we're gonna make this a fun. We'll try to make this an interesting and fun show, despite the uh, the disgusting nature of those two games. I'll do my best. People used to say to me during football season, only during football season, Mitch, I love you. I love your radio show, but I can't listen on Mondays after Seahawks games. Yeah, it's tough. And it used to make me sad because we would work really hard on those shows. Yeah. And people were just, just 
they were just, I, I'm not listening. We're just not listening after Seahawks lost. I, I can't blame them if you're a Seahawks fan. It's tough to hear four hours. Of four the, hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's going to be the point. We're going to do it in our normal segments, but we're going to get off of it and do other things, other fun things, other sports things, yeah. other interesting things. We're not going to harp on it like I was, I was forced to do. We had to harp on it for four hours, six to 10 a.m. in the morning after a loss, after the Ravens loss. Yeah. If I was doing the morning show on Monday morning on KJR, I would be doing nothing but talking about the Huskies and the Seahawks and then just redoing it and repeating it and repeating it and repeating it for four hours. Not going to do that here. We're going to do it once, and then we're going to move on. I like it. We're going to talk to other people about other things. I just saw a tweet from somebody I don't know named Kyle Davis. Yeah. (laughs) It says, I hate football. I mean, what even is the point? (laughs) The ballet. That's where you put hashtag easier to be a fan of the ballet. I don't know this guy. I just happened to see it on Twitter, and I totally am with him. Seahawks talk, Huskies talk, two two knee injuries heard around the world. Do you know who the knee injuries are? Oh, yeah. Two sports knee injuries heard around the world. I have a terrific athlete of the week that I'm going to lay on you. Great. I've got a lot of little stuff, fun stuff. Uh, I never really wanted to play favorites amongst my listeners. But I'm going to f- I'm going to do what I should do, and that's going to I'm going to crown a number one listener of Mitch Unfiltered, a number one supporter of Mitch Unfiltered, like uh, every week or just for the year, just this show. Gotcha. One guy. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna shine the light on one Mitch Unfiltered listener. I'm interested. Yeah, yeah. Uh, guest Brady Henderson, uh, Seahawks Insider, ESPN.com. Brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Rick Neuheisel, also brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. He'll not only talk about Washington, but a lot of stuff happened in the world of college football, including Tua. Tua got hurt. Tua's going to be out. How is Alabama going to be without Tua? More importantly, what are the Dolphins going to do? <laughs> I mean, that's that's really who it's going to affect. I mean, they're freaking. Poor, poor Dolphins can't catch a break. We got a second visit from Tony Castricone, the voice of the dogs. Todd Lebo in Kansas City about the fallen Chiefs quarterback. So a lot to do on episode 62. Beyond, we'll try to laugh a little bit. Maybe we'll cry. Maybe I'll cry. Yeah. Uh, a lot to do beyond the Seahawks and the Huskies. So hot shot, here we are at episode 62, which is, of course... Not possible without our partners, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. More and more listeners are finally getting smart, giving Jordan Flowers Guild Mortgage Group a holler, waiting for your call to save you money every month with three top 1% brokers in the Kirkland office alone. 425-250-3150. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest with offices along the West Coast and the originator of Evervestment.com, which is a new program that caters to those of us that don't have the wealth that many of Evergreen's clients have, but still want to grow our money. Evergreen Golf Call, Zeke's Pizza, with a brand new spot in Woodenville on 135th Avenue Northeast. Whether it's at home with Zeke's door-to-door delivery or at one of their 17 locations, sports, pizza, craft beer, with a true blue Northwest company, Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. And Daniel's Broiler, I can't wait to get to the Rick House Whiskey Bar at the brand spanking new downtown location in the Hyatt Regency on November the 11th, Monday Night Football, the Seahawks and the Niners. We are closing it down for Mitch Unfiltered listeners only. Our private viewing party sold out very quickly, so we're already looking at future dates to do another. The very best spot for special occasions daniel's broiler world-class steakhouses episode number 62 believe it or not starts right now
Unfiltered. You're asking a Seattle Mariner fan how I feel about Bryce Harper waking up in the Washington Nationals being in the World Series. Let me ask you, how do you feel as a Seattle Mariner fan waking up and now knowing you're the only organization in baseball that's never played in the World Series because the Nationals are in? I, I couldn't give two craps about Bryce Harper. Unfiltered. Just think about what I'm telling you here. The Miami Dolphins are better at getting hits on the quarterback when they rush four than the Seattle. The Seahawks are 30-sec, the worst team in the league to get quarterback hits or to get their hands on the quarterback when they rush four. Mitch is unfiltered. Here we go. Are you ready, Hotshot? Episode um, 62. I'm ready. It's did therapy you, time. Did you know that there's a Patreon site? <laughs> you bet. See, this is what happens when you like poke people like you and I. We can't resist. Poke the bear. That's right. Poke the bear. That's, that's exactly right. Uh, episode 62. <laughs> episode Chris Gray. Mm, good one. Didn't we do his buddy last time? Didn't we do Robbie Tobeck? We did Robbie yeah. Tobeck. All right. I contend that Chris Gray is the most unsung player in Seahawks history he was on that 2005 team we all remember oh, how great their offensive line was and great. yet if if i had not just told you this with episode chris gray it's not going to be episode chris gray by the way okay <laughs> uh, but if i didn't just mention his name and i had said do you name the five starting offensive linemen that made up that great offensive line of the seahawks you would have said well there was walter jones easy you would have said steve hutchinson easy robbie tobeck easy you might even have gotten because of the bad call in the super bowl yeah what was his that's the one i wouldn't have gotten sean the right locklear ah, the right tackle you yeah. might have not you might have gotten you would not have gotten chris gray i don't think so you would have never th- he's the last guy that anybody thinks of he wore number 62 but when you said chris gray and 62 then i was like oh yeah i remember him but i don't know if i would have been able to come up with it without hearing I, the number. how many of those five guys would you've gotten just think, in three uh, Tobeck, or, Hutch, and Jones, and not Locklear? I don't think I would have got Locklear. I think I blocked him the out. The famous hold call yeah. on the ball down to the one. Uh, but it's not going to be episode Christmas. Okay. There's a clear cut choice. There is. There's just no choice. There's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. All right, I'm ready. Right? The name of the show is Mitch Unfiltered. That's all I'm going to tell you to give you a hint. Okay, there's one guy that's gonna get. That's okay. gonna get named. I can't name any 62s in my head. That's that's the problem. That's yeah. the overall. That's the overall problem. What would you like to say about 30 to 16? How'd the tail of the tape look to you now? Going yeah. back over the tail of the tape. Pretty good, right? Pretty accurate. Yeah. I don't know. I was thinking. I, I heard a guy. I think last week a national guy talk about the Seahawks. He said it's the Seahawks are the most overrated team in the league, and I thought. Nah, you wait till you, you'll see this this Sunday against the Ravens. We're going to stick it to them. Yeah, I, I was How'd talking, talking myself into it a bit yeah. like and then like they won by one twice. They won by two once yeah. and by four. They're a very maybe four, he two, was five right. Maybe we're looking at an overrated five and one or now five and two team. You know, that's what I took away. I from try Sunday. not to get roped into that conversation because. Because how much does it really matter at the end of the year? What you after six games, you were five and one, right? Whether you are a fraudulent five and one or just an unbelievable, tenacious, great five and one, either one really doesn't matter after week seventeen. The only thing that matters about after six games, it's not. It's just what what was your record? Your record is the only thing that matters. And so maybe they were the most overrated 5 and one team. Maybe they had no business being 5-1 because they had all those close calls. But at the end of, again, at the end of 17 weeks, 
it doesn't matter whether they were an overrated 5-1 and one or the best 5-1 and one team in the history of football who lost one game by a point and won every other game by 74 points. That doesn't matter either. Really, the only thing that matters is how are you playing after Week 17? Right. How, and, that's, and that's why I always say, you know, they beat the Cincinnati Bengals by a point and they they ease by the Rams on a missed field goal yeah. at the but none of that we're not going to remember none of that matters the only things that matter after week 17 is what is your record what is your standing within your conference and your division and how healthy and how well are you playing at that point this is a long even though it's only 16 games it's a long season and you're going to be playing well in certain stages, and you're going to be playing poorly or somewhere less than well in, in other stages. How are you playing on January 1st going into – did you make the playoffs, and how are you playing, and how healthy is your football team? That's the only thing that matters. I think it's for me it's more about tempering expectations. Are we buying plane tickets to – where is it, Miami this year? The Super Bowl? Are we buying plane tickets to the Super Bowl to get ready? I don't even or can allow, we just I, say – It's don't, funny that you asked. I don't even allow myself to even think about that stuff. Really? Yeah, no. No, it's it's six games, six games. They played a Baltimore Ravens team on Sunday, that, you know, you feel like they should have beaten. That 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 going into the game, you feel like you had the better team. Yeah, they had a great statistical offense. It was skewed a little bit. They played Miami at the beginning of the year and yeah. put sixty on them yeah. and and drove up their their stats for the remainder of the year. You felt like you were better than Baltimore, but boy, you come out of that game on Sunday. I, I don't. It was uh, it, it was it was not really a controversial finish. It was it was an instance of the MVP of the league playing finally a kind of human pedestrian, not so great game, and the other guy at the same time in the same game was like Superman, was he not? Was Lamar Jackson not like Superman? Watching Lamar Jackson yeah. run the football, he's never going to impress you throwing it. All that much. I mean, Although he can be. He's he can pretty be okay. accurate. He's pretty accurate. He had yeah. a few drops on him. His tight end didn't help him out. Yeah. But he's never really going to wow you throwing the ball. He's going to be okay, maybe functional throwing the ball. But when he starts to run, I'm telling you, he's the greatest running quarterback that ever lived, and it really isn't close. Vic was great. Kaepernick was very, very good with the. There were other guys. Randall yeah. Cunningham, Cunningham was yeah. good. This guy, though, is completely there. there. You have no chance in the open field of tackling this guy. This guy is a, a thoroughbred, and I'm telling you, he's there aren't four or five running backs in the league that are better runners than this guy. And he made the Seahawks look silly on a rainy, wet, ugly day in Seattle. He's extremely elusive. You don't see that out of quarterbacks. Oh. I mean, you've seen fast. You've seen Kaepernick. He had the long gazelle legs. This is another level. This is elusive. This is like Tyreek Hill or okay, something. Okay, but elusive is only one thing, Scott. Think about some and of the fast, I guess, too. Okay, right? How about, I mean, I'll give you a couple other things. Okay. How's his vision? Does yeah. he see holes? Yeah. How does he set up blockers? How about that that fourth down play where he scored the touchdown? Remember the fourth yeah, down yeah. play where he scored he had the all touchdown? The blocking he kind of started to the right. He didn't hurry the play. He looked a little like Le'Veon Bell. He hesitated. He paused. He waited for that hole. He saw that hole developing, and then, bam, he kind of cut back, and he hit that hole, and he was in the end zone. He, Yeah, he's elusive, and yeah, he's fast, but he does, he has, he has, 
He has attributes of a great running back. Yeah. Vision, patience, hitting the holes, timing. This guy is the this guy is an unbelievable runner. We knew it going in, and he made the Seahawks look silly. On that third down play when they had him back at the five yard line, the third down and eight, he runs for thirty yards. Yeah. I mean, it was like it's like a it's like a no when he starts to run, it's like a no contest. I thought he was going to go out of bounds, but then he cut it back. He did there, that a couple times. Yeah, there's the vision, right? And I then mean, he just kind of cuts. The, it's just yeah. unbelievable. And like, then the, he the slid guy is really, really good. And yeah. he made the Seahawks look silly. He did. And and the Seahawks lost. I mean, the Seahawks and their quarterback, for as great as he's been all year, was just. Not himself. Yeah. He threw a ball out into the flat. He didn't see, of all people, does it have to be Marcus <laughs> Peters? Of course, right? They, they, they've had him for 10 minutes, and he has a pick six. If you had given me uh. the roster and said anybody could intercept Russell Wilson for a pick six, yeah. and, and I had to rank him, it would be Earl Thomas would be second to last, <laughs> yeah. and Marcus Peters yeah. would be last. Right. I had to see that. The, the sad part about the game, and we can talk a little bit more about the game, but I, I don't want to. I don't want to harp on the game. I don't know that anybody wants to hear us harp on the game. Uh, my, my thoughts on the game were this: it it was, and maybe maybe my mind just looks for this. Maybe you'll say this is this is preposterous, but the Husky game and the Seahawks game to me had kind of a a unique similarity and bond. In the way that both teams, I thought, in the first half of their games, did exactly what I would have ordered for a win. In the in the Huskies, and we'll get to the Huskies game here in a second. In the Huskies game, you know, they ran the ball. They stopped the run. They put Herbert in third and long situations. The defense got off the field. Eason, against a really tough statistical defense, was very efficient. They were moving the ball. They scored. I mean... They did everything you would have asked the Huskies for and then some in the first half against Oregon for the winning recipe. Same thing with the Seahawks. The Seahawks in the first half, who was the who who was the best time of possession team in the NFL by a landslide going into the game? Well, I'm guessing the Seahawks. No. Oh. Try again. <laughs> the Ravens. The Ravens <laughs> controlled the clock better than any team in the NFL no, and it's not it wasn't even close going in. In the first half, the Seahawks, 18 minutes of offense. The Ravens, 12 minutes of offense. Oh, okay. They turned the tables yeah. on them. And they did exactly one. If you had said to me, Mitch, what, what do the Seahawks have to do to win the game? Probably one of the first things out of my mouth would have been, the defense is going to give up your... I mean, you'd love to think that your defense can come in and stymie the number one offense in the NFL. But if you want realistic goals, reasonable goals for a game to win a game, I would have said, okay, the Ravens are going to get their yards... They're going to get their rushing yards. He's going to run. Ingram's going to run. They're going to get the. They're going to get theirs. But here's what you got to do to win. Force them to go for three. Force all those yeah. all those possessions that get into the red zone. Stop them. Make them hit. Let, let let Justin Tucker kick field goals. What did they do in the first half? They limited the Ravens, the highest scoring offense in the league, second most yards in the league per game, two field goals, six points. If it weren't for the Russell Wilson pick six, they would have had six points at halftime. So kind of like the Huskies, the Seahawks did everything you would have asked for. I felt great at halftime, yeah. even at 13-13, even knowing Russell Wilson just handed the, the Ravens seven points. I felt great at halftime because they were making them kick field goals in the red zone. And I just figured it was a matter of time in the second half. Russell Wilson will get his. And if you keep making them kick field goals, you're going to be fine. And then the second half hit, and you couldn't really move the ball, and they just moved it all over you. 
They just turned they turned the tables on you completely in the second half. Well, the defense gave up one touchdown in the second half, right? The defense? I mean, that's that's a pretty good job. Well, it was 13-13, and they ended up with 30. Yeah, so they had the, the fumble recovery for a touchdown, but then... That's seven. Yeah, and then they had the... He ran it in. Okay. The quarterback. So, yeah, they gave up one touchdown. That's it. Okay, but they, they gave up one touchdown, but... The off, they, off. they they completely controlled the game. The offense of the Ravens completely controlled the game. They were getting their yards. Six, let's let's just sure. put it this way. 65 yards rushing in the first half. They had 134 yards in the second half. I think they had five first downs in the entire first half. They had probably 9 or 10 or 11 or 12 in the second half. They, they just controlled the ball. And, and I think the epitome of the second half was when they were backed up at the five-yard line. And, and the Seahawks had them pinned. And they had him in a third down situation, and he just ran for 30 yards. Yeah. And they went 90 whatever yards with the ball up seven. They didn't even try to score a touchdown. They just they just waved the white flag and kicked the field goal to go up 10, and the game and the game was essentially over. Because 10 yeah. felt insurmountable. Yeah, it, it, because the, for whatever reason, the Seahawks and, and Russell Wilson could not figure out the blitz schemes. I saw an interesting interview with Tyler Lockett, who kind of explained what happened. The Ravens came in as a man-to-man team in the secondary, which means they like to – I told you this on 61P. They blitzed more than any team in the in the NFL. More than 50% of the time, yeah. the Ravens blitz. That means bring five or more rushers. And when you do that, you really have to play man-to-man in the back. Sure. So this is what the Seahawks expected. So you saw what they did. They they did not look like the typical Schottenheimer, Carroll, Wilson, Seahawks at the beginning of the game. Typically, they hand off, hand off, hand off, hand off, hand off at the beginning of these games. But they came out firing. Yeah. They thought they were going to have plays down the field. And they kind of did have plays down the field. And then, according to Tyler Lockett, they got to halftime and they were ready in the second half to make plays down the field. And Jim, John Harbaugh changed. He shifted to zone in the second half, which kind of got them off of stride. They didn't expect it, and they had to adjust to it. And by the time they adjusted to it, it was too late. That, did, that's what Tyler Lockett said. Did they adjust at some point? I mean, I well, the they, they, didn't, they didn't do anything until yeah. the last drive. The fact of the matter is they had 61 yards of total offense in the second half. The Seahawks had God. 61 yards until the last yeah. drive of the game where they were down like 18 points, 31-13, and they went down they kicked the field goal. Was like, or 30, 30, 13, they went down and kicked the field goal. They got 60 on that drive when when the Ravens were in total prevent. Right. You, know, you can have whatever you want. They, the Seahawks only had 61 yards until that point. Amazing. Yeah. So what can you do? Uh, we never got to see our, our dream defensive line, did we? Not yet. We still because haven't seen it. Jaron Reed came back and Ziggy doesn't went play. out. We'll see. What about LJ Collier? He had no tackles. Is he a healthy scratch? I, I don't. You know, I didn't even know. I don't think he was a scratch. I think he was. Was he not? Uh, Maybe he played. Didn't I got, have any I got, tackles. I have it right here. Hold on a second. Right now, was uh, LJ Collier a scratch? You want to know? I'm still waiting to see the Fab Four on the defensive line. It may who never. Who are the Fab Four? It may never happen. Who are the Fab Four? Jaron Reed, LJ Collier, Jadavion Clowney, and Ziggy Ansah. LJ Collier was active. Oh, he was. Oh, good for According him. According to this. Yeah. I'm yeah. looking at it. L.J. Collier was, there he is, 95. L. Collier, substitutions, active. Uh, inactive, Gary Jennings, John Ursua, Bradley McDougal, they missed him. Uh, Lano Hill, they missed him. Uh, Dwayne Brown, they certainly yeah. missed him. And Ziggy Ansah, uh, with, I think, back spasms, 
were inactive in the game. So you didn't get a chance to see the dream, the now, dream four. One upside, though, of uh, McDougal being not active or being hurt was you got to see Marquise Blair start, his first NFL start. He looked okay. He did some good things. Yeah. I think he got beat a couple of times, but he did some good things. Eight, and, eight uh, tackles, one pass defense. Statistically, no problem. Yeah. I mean, you, you got him a little you got a little game experience. Why is it, before we finish off and we kind of set up the remainder of the Seahawks at least the next week or so, why is it that it feels like, and maybe it's just because I, the, the, this game is so fresh in my mind on Sunday, that the, the rain in Seattle negatively impacts the Seahawks more than it does their opponents. That is interesting. Am I wrong about that? Wasn't it a few games ago that Chris Carson was slipping all over the place? Yeah, yeah. And it seemed like Russell Wilson didn't have a good game on Sunday. And yeah, I know there were drops from the Ravens, but it just, I, I don't know. It, and I'm just maybe a negative Nelly, but when I wake up on Sunday and I see that and the Seahawks have a home game and it's gray and rainy, I should, I should feel... Okay, this is Seahawks weather. They're used to this. This is Seahawks weather. Yeah. We've got a team coming across the country, and that's exactly what we want. We want Gray Rainey, and yet I feel the exact opposite. Driving to my kids' basketball game this morning, driving back on, at 1 o'clock, racing to get home for 125. In my mind, looking outside, it was pouring. I was like, this is bad. Why? Bad. And it shouldn't be. like it, The Baltimore Ravens are a high-flying offense. They... Well, I guess they run the ball, but they score 30-something points a game. They get a lot of yards. Bad weather should really impact them. But I felt coming into the game like, oh, no, it's gray and rainy. We can't handle the rain. The Seahawks can't handle the rain. The Seahawks would tell you that they practice in the rain all the time. They practice with a wet ball all the time. And for some reason, it does feel that I, way. I got to tell you, I didn't think the kicker was going to make the 53-yard field goal when they didn't go for it on fourth down. Yeah. I When they set up, I said to myself, on a nice day, he'd make that, but it's raining in Seattle. We can't handle the rain. He's going to miss it, and boom, he missed it. Did you happen to see the uh, Washington Redskin 49er game and that downpour all day? I heard about the downpour. I didn't watch much of the game because I ran to the uh, I ran to the I mean, basketball game. It does basketball. rain. It does rain in that part of the country too. So Bal yeah. Baltimore, I mean, but I feel they like, should be used to playing I, I in rain know. as well. I, I feel like Seattle should. That should be what we want. Yeah. Rain. We sort should be built for that. It's not sort of like when you have a playoff game in Green Bay and it's snowing. You just know the Packers are going to win, right? Because they're that's their home, that's their home advantage. But yeah, it does. I, I hate rainy games. I hate drops. I hate fumbles. It feels like the great equalizer. I've always hated them, especially with a good quarterback. Well, it was rainy the day previous too at Husky Stadium for your dogs, your yeah. beloved dogs who had it in their hands. How could you ask for anything more than a two-touchdown lead over Oregon in the second half? I was keeping track of the score, and I was just because I was working Saturday, yeah. and I saw 28-14. Well, I, yeah. I heard so much about this defense I was so scared of. Where's that great they Oregon were, they, defense? They were dicing them up. They were surgically taking them apart in the first half, and they had a 28-14 in the lead in the second half. They had a 31-21 lead in the second half, and it all just slipped away, and Husky fans are pissed. They're pissed at Christmas. They are, they're like the little brother who throws a temper tantrum at the big brother, and it's just like flailing, just throwing <laughs> their arms. Anybody that gets in Husky fans' way, it's, is, anybody is fair game. Chris Peterson certainly included. The only guy that I don't think they're taking too many shots at is Jacob Eason, and I don't think they should. He played a really, I thought, fine football game on Saturday. But everybody else, and I, I know that I'm going to be piling on here. Go on. Where, where... Can we please have a funeral this week for the Wildcat offense? Have you not seen, has everybody seen enough? And I know, 
I interviewed Tony Castricone, the voice of the dogs. He's going to be on this podcast, and he's going to say that offense has been really good to the Huskies over the years. Miles Gaskin, Prosper, well, and, and Richard Newton, the the freshman, is really good with it, and so forth. And Saturday, they just got stymied, and there was a critical third down there. They went to the Wildcat. I'm sorry. We need to have a funeral. If, if Steve Dion is listening right now, play taps. Let's play <laughs> taps, and let's bury the Wildcat offense. And the truth be told is I shouldn't do – I can do the eulogy if you want me to do the eulogy, but I shouldn't because I think the person who does a eulogy after a death typically talks nicely about the departed. Oh, sure. I yeah. really don't have anything good to say about the Wildcat because when the Wildcat was working and people were using it, Brian Billick used it in Minneapolis with Randall Cunningham, put him out on the wide receiver. My beloved Miami Dolphins used it with Ronnie Effing Brown taking the snap. Um, the Panthers, Carolina Panthers, used it with D'Angelo Williams, and it was working at times. I hated it when it was working. Really? I never liked the Wildcat. I don't like the Wildcat. I don't care how much it works. I hate the Wildcat offense. It To me, it's not football. And then purists will say, what are you talking about, Mitch? It's actually more football from the real old days yeah, than it is now. It's just single wing is all it is. It's, it's the first formation of football. Oh, I can't stand it. <laughs> what? Putting a running back behind yeah. the center with really no threat of pass. Take the Putting a quarterback wide right or wide left i mean it's so stupid right i hate it and and yeah does it work from time to time yeah i i'm done i was done before the game i was done <laughs> years ago with this watching washington struggle and and use it in critical moments on third down uh uh i just just painful to watch excruciating to watch especially when you pull the best player on the field or at least the best player on the husky sideline off the field jacob eason Right, I mean, he's the best player on that offense by far. Yeah. So pulling him off, that makes it even um, more so. Memo, typically the quarterback on these teams are one of the best players on the team. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you want to use the Wildcat when your quarterback sucks and he can't throw the ball from me to you across this table? I suppose I can deal with it then. I Or get uh, creative. I, have, a, have a running back who can maybe throw every once in a while to keep him keep off balance. Do something. But you're right. As soon as they, you know where it's going and you know who's getting it and you, it's so easy to stop. Such a bitter pill that game. Yeah. yeah. Such a bitter pill to lose 35-31 after you had the two touchdown lead. Especially to a team you hate who's you hate. been killing you, you the past 20 years. And now years. that's the third loss of the year. And again, I'll ask this question. You'll hear what the, the, vo the voice of the Huskies is. I mean, you understand. I mean, he's he's going to look at the bright side. He's going to say the season's not over. He's going to say, hey, three losses doesn't doesn't mean the end of a season. You still have a lot to to accomplish yeah. this year. But I, I'm feeling through social media, and I'm kind of feeling it myself, that this now is officially – there was even a, a column, I think, by Matt Calkins in the Seattle Times. that this, this season, no matter what now, is a disappointment. They could win every game the remainder of the way, yeah. go to a bowl game, win that game, finish with 10 wins, 10-3, and three, and it's a disappointment. How do you feel about that? Two home losses, and yeah, I mean, I do think it's a disappointment. I mean, no matter what, right? It, yes, at least you want Rose Bowl, but Rose Bowl's out now. Oh, no, you're not getting anything like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're talking, if you if you run the table, you're talking like Alamo Holiday, something like that. Yeah. And, and he's going to say, now hold on a second, you got one of the top 10 or 12 teams in the country coming in two weeks from now after the bye week in Utah. You could you could really 
have a a, a game-changing win there. You could win <laughs> 10 games. You could go to a good bowl. Mm. You could play a power team from the Big 12 or something, or the Big 10. Mm. Uh, you could you could have a – that's what he's going to say. It's a disappointment. It, the season's so, so a disappointment. Nothing, so there's nothing they can do now nah. to reverse that. Trying to pick, running the table from here on out. Running the table. Would, that would be ten and three, winning the Apple Cup, beating Utah, mm-hmm. going to the Alamo Bowl. If they ran the table, would you have it in your heart, a place in your heart to say, okay, it wasn't that horrible. It wasn't a it wasn't that disappointing. Uh, not that horrible. It's different than I would be. Dis- I'm going to be disappointed no matter what happens. If they, if because they of win what the you table. expected at the beginning. Especially with Jacob Eason coming in, I had high hopes for but that him. That was only one player. They lost a lot of their defense. Yeah. They lost a lot of their defensive second. A lot of young guys are playing on that Washington team. Yeah. You don't take that into consideration. I don't. I thought they were going to be at because least. Because have I said to you before the season started, I'll offer you 10-3 and three right now, three losses in conference, no Pac-12 championship game, but a bowl game and a good win over somebody in the Alamo Bowl, you would have said, I'm not signing up for that at all. That, I'll say, I'll, no way. That's I'll, not good enough. I'll right? take my chances. Yeah, that's what I would have said. But I do have to retract something I said about a Husky player a few, oh, you a told few me weeks you ago. To yeah. <laughs> Thank you very you much. Rewind it? Salvan Ahmed. Ahmed. Okay. I once said he doesn't look like he's a legit Played running a great back. Great game on Saturday. The way Richard Newton kind of looks like a true running back. Uh, I, I still think you're right about that, by the way. What's that? The Richard I think Newton? Newton between the tackles yeah. is really a, an impressive, an impressive young running back. Yeah. In the last two games, Ahmed's had 235 rushing yards, five yards a carry, and four touchdowns. And it looked like he was putting his nose in and getting the tough he yard, was, leaning forward. In fact, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say that may have been his most impressive hour as a as a Seahawk, as a University of Washington Husky. Yeah. I thought he was really good on Saturday. Yeah. And they needed him because everybody else was out. That's right. It, he just stepped about up, everybody else. Carried the mail. No McGrew. Yeah. Uh, no uh, Richard Newton. No right? Richard Newton. Yeah. It was really all Ahmed, and he was really, really good. Yeah. yeah. So uh, one positive out of the weekend. <laughs> well, I mean, there were more than that. I mean, you want to just talk about individual performances. Jacob Eason was really yeah. good. Yeah, that's true. I guess Sean McDonough deep. said in the middle of the show, in the middle of the game, he said, "I had a conversation with with or we got a chance to talk to Jacob Eason, and boy, he sounded like a guy that had already decided he's going to the NFL." And Todd Blackledge jumped in, the Todd Blackledge. Oh, Chiefs fame, yes. One-fifth one of the answer to the trivia, or is he one-sixth of the trivia question? I think it's one-sixth. I think there were six of them. Six of them before Marino? Oh, no, it was six including Marino in 80. You think there was only five before Marino, or he was oh. a seventh or sixth? Do you have to do this every show? Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, Todd Blackledge said when Sean McDonough said, boy, he sounds like a kid who's already made the decision he's playing one year at Washington and going to the NFL. Blackledge said, not sure that's the right decision. Hmm, Interesting. I want to know what he said to McDonough to make McDonough think that. Don't know. I would love to know. I, I think McDonough would... said he he said something like, when they asked him, he said, "I'm just going to enjoy this year. I just want to enjoy the year." Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know that kind of comment. I just want to enjoy my year here. Yeah. Just yeah. kind of, it kind of gave you that. It gave McDonough, and uh, we're not going to talk about McDonough. Okay. <laughs> I I saw his face on TV. I'm like, oh my God, that's the guy right there. All right. So what's happening next? So so Washington doesn't play, gets their finally gets their bye. They're not gonna play so they're not gonna lose. Can't they're lose. not gonna lose a fourth game. Love it. The Seahawks at five and two, kinda losing kinda losing touch with the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners are now what, six and oh. Six and oh, yeah. One nine nothing. <laughs> yeah, in that, in that downpour in Washington. 
Uh, they're five and two. They're still very much in good position. I would say good, like wild card position. I don't think you like wild card position, but they're in very good wild card mm-hmm. position in the NFC. Um, they're going to need to win those games against the Niners. It lo- it's looking more and more like November the 11th when we do our appearance at or w- when we have the viewing party at Daniels. The Seahawks are going to have to beat the 49ers in San Francisco because they're going to be in position perhaps to be, you know, three, four games back in the loss column. You don't want that. That's a that's a lot of games. So here's what's next. Seahawks at 10 a.m. on Sunday at Atlanta. Matt Ryan left the Georgia Dome or wherever they play Mercedes-Benz, whatever the name of the place they play, in a boot. He was hurt. Aaron Donald hurt him. Aaron Donald rushed right by right by one of the offensive linemen and just and just smacked Matt Ryan. Ryan came out of the game, limped off, went to the locker room. MRI on Monday uh, left the building in a walking boot. So there is a, Jeez. I would think, a distinct possibility that Matt Ryan would not be the quarterback of the Falcons when the Falcons face the Seahawks. I also saw Aaron. Would Donald. you like to guess who would be the quarterback if it's not Matt Ryan? Is it somebody I've heard of, you think? I don't know what you've heard, who, who you've heard of. All right, That's all right. I have a hard time. Sometimes you surprise me, and then other times yeah. you surprise me the other way. <laughs> I never quite know what I'm going to get with you. I've never heard of Peyton it's Manning. Box of Explain him to me, yes. This guy named Matt Schaub? Yes. Oh, the, I feel like Richard Sherman ended his career. Is it Matt Schaub? <laughs> Is that the, the Texans? Yes. And Richard Sherman Still had that, play. the yes. pick six with one University shoe? of Virginia, yeah. former Texan starter Matt Schaub is the backup in Atlanta. He was good for a minute. Yeah, was, for about 25 seconds, yeah. Yeah, it was him, it was uh, Andre Johnson, yeah. and then Arian Foster. Yeah. I'm like, boy, the Texans are going to be tough. And Richard Sherman has that pick six and killed him. 10 a.m. in Atlanta, all the while, the Rams are hosting Cincinnati. Not going to lose that no. game. And the 49ers are hosting Carolina. Probably mm. not going to lose that game at home to Carolina. Carolina's Probably. good now, though, right? I mean, yeah, they're hot. Well, they, yeah, with the backup quarterback. Yeah. yeah. So that's the, that's the story. Did you have anything else for the first segment before we get our four interviews in, and then we come back with lots of fun and different stuff? Well, you brought up Aaron Donald, and I don't know if you oh, saw yeah. the video of him picking up Devontae Freeman from the Falcons. He picked him up like it was his little brother. I mean, this Aaron Donald. He's the best player in the NFL. He literally picked him up. Devontae Freeman's feet are off the ground, and then he, like, drops him, and Devontae took a swing at him. Oh, yeah, he got thrown out of the game. Got thrown out of the game, yeah. yeah. I don't know. You have to go find this video of him picking up another grown we'll man. It. It's amazing. He's such we'll a put it on the, We'll put it on the Mitch Facebook page, the Mitch Unfiltered oh, like Facebook it. page, where Good I put idea. all the different uh, videos of things that we talk about on uh, on the on the podcast. We put them on the on the Facebook page. I'll go looking for that for that for that video. He's yeah. such a grown Aaron man, Daniel. Aaron Donald. Go, while you're lo- while you're watching that video, go look at the play. Go look at the play that he hurts Matt Ryan. It's all over the internet. Go okay. look at that play yeah. and look at. How easy it was for him to get through the offensive line. God. Just you got to look at this. This guy, I think he was trying the offensive line. He looked Still like unclear. It lo- he honest to God, he looked like he had money on the Rams. Is that right? Yeah. He he took a bet like in Vegas, like a proposition bet that said, you know, plus two eighty that Matt Ryan doesn't get out of this game alive. Yeah, right. He took the bet. <laughs> Uh, All right, four good interviews, and then you and I go back and forth with a lot of fun stuff. Let's do it. As we try to get our mind off of what happened at Husky Stadium at CenturyLink Field on episode 62. Well, Hotshot, I'm finally starting to hear from Mitch Unfiltered listeners that they called Jordan Flowers at the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage, and they're already saving money every month 
like our executive producer, Steve Dion. Yeah, I gave uh, Jordan a buzz in uh, late July. Um, was interested to get a uh, quote on a refi, um, just the way the market has been with, with interest rates dropping as they have. Kind of tailored a, a mortgage around my preferences. One of the main parts that was appealing was the fact that he was able to cut out my mortgage insurance. Uh, he bought that out completely, um, really consolidated the loan into one clean monthly payment, amortized over a shorter time horizon and at a lower rate. Really easy process. You know, working with Jordan and Christina there, not not bad for a coog. You know, I I was uh, hesitant to put my uh, put my dollars and cents into uh, the hands of a, a Wazoo grad, but. You know, it all turned out turned out well thus far. From beginning to end, Steve, how long did it take? Took about a month total. How long was the first phone conversation until you determined what you could save per month? It's about a fifteen minute call. When you include the mortgage insurance, how much less are you paying per month now on a percentage basis, thanks to the refi with the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage? I'm paying about eight to ten percent less a month. On top of that, uh, we'll be paying for five less years. So it's kind of a win-win on both both sides. So my line on the podcast that you're crazy not to call the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage with the low interest rates at the moment just to find out what you could be saving in a refinance is on point. Well, it, it's valid unless you want to spend more money every month. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Oh, and Mitch, one last thing. Where's my Tumblr? (laughs) There it is. Stop standing on the sidelines. Guild Mortgage and the Kirkland office at 425-250-3150. You could start saving big time today. Unfiltered. Third down and six. Trying to go long first. And the pass is intercepted. Marcus Peters, and he scores. Jackson, first down, touchdown. But this is just, how does this happen? It <laughs> DK was, Metcalf, sure-handed, just drops a football. It was a game that was good. It had a chance to go right down to the nub, but uh, it, it didn't because of, you know we gave them two big scores. You know, and as we, whenever you lose the turnover ratio, you're you know you're in trouble. I, I thought we played really well in defense, and I thought Lamar Jackson was phenomenal. And the big turnover plays, you know, uh, uh, Russ's play just a just a mistake, and, and he knows it, and you know he just went late in the flat and couldn't do it, and, and ball gets gets ricocheted for a touchdown, and then we we lose the ball switching hands there with with DK and and they scoop it up you know other than maybe he didn't catch the ball you know that was a terrific play by them to get that done they took advantage of it all right fireside home solutions and firesidehomesolutions.com bring you a little review we got Brady Henderson ESPN ESPN ESPN.com on the Seahawks loss on Sunday to the Baltimore Ravens and of course joining us now is Michael Bumpus he's been on the show before he's been on the podcast before you know him from the radio you know him from TV you know him from incredible high school football success Michael is joining the party so that we can get a different perspective on what exactly we saw you're the guest Michael Brady and I do this every week so you get the first shot a two touchdown loss was it all about turnovers or was there some game 
game plan faults in in how they approach that Ravens game on Sunday? You know, honestly, I think it was about turnovers. Russell Wilson throws his first pick of the year. Unfortunately, it's a pick six, which no one likes to see. DK fumbles the ball, they scoop it up, and they score. And then you got to deal with Lamar Jackson. I mean, he's one of the most mobile quarterbacks I've seen since Michael Vick, and he showed that this week. I think it's a combination of turning the ball over and not being able to contain one of the most mobile guys in the NFL. And unfortunately, the Hawks take their second loss, and it's their second loss at home, which isn't very typical of these guys. Yeah. And they fall to 5-2, and two, Brady. Brady Henderson of ESPN, ESPN.com. Were you surprised, Brady, that they came out firing. It's very rare that early in games, offensively, that Schottenheimer and Russell Wilson really take the lid off and they start throwing the ball down the field, almost as if they thought the Ravens were real vulnerable against the pass and they didn't start the game with Chris Carson as they normally do. That, that was my first thought, too, is, is wondering if maybe they thought that, um, you know, that was a vulnerability of the Ravens, that secondary that, you know, they – they put a lot of resources into that secondary that, you know, over the last few years, not just giving Earl Thomas that huge contract, but uh, they've paid other guys, uh, drafted guys in the first round, and, and that really has not been uh, a strong suit for them. So then, that's why you saw them trade for Marcus Peters um, last week. And so, yeah, that that's, that was my thought, too, just because that was surprising to see them come out. Um, you typically see them, you know, Every game, basically, they try to establish the run with Chris Carson. Um, and I would think that, you know, on a day, you know, where the conditions were what they were Sunday, you know, it's being rainy all day, um, that that would be even more of the approach. Uh, but it wasn't. You know, 41 attempts for Russell Wilson, uh, only 21 carries for Chris Carson. And it wasn't like they fell behind early and really, you know, the, the flow of the game dictated that. Um, it was 13-13 at halftime, and you still saw – that really, really try to get Russell Wilson going. Michael, you're a former wide receiver for the for the Seahawks. Everybody knew going into this game that the Ravens blitzed defensively more than any other team in the NFL. Some had it as high as 50 or 55 percent. What does that mean? That tells me that you're going to get a lot of man-to-man coverage. Is maybe that the reason why Schottenheimer and Wilson and the offense thought that they had a vulnerable defense at their hands? No, I think it definitely played a factor into the play calling. When you you know you're going to get blitzed, you're going to see a lot of man-to-man. You're going to rely on Tyler Lockett, on DK Metcalf, on Jacob Hollister to make plays against you know one-on-one defenders, on man-on-man defenders. And you know I asked a couple coaches after the game, I go, what was what was the decision? Like, what made you guys do that? And it's simply because it just felt right. You know, as a coordinator, you see what the defense is giving you. You're going with a game plan. And I think, honestly, they wanted to let Russell Wilson let it loose today. And as they should. If they feel like this is an opportunity to where Russell Wilson can't let it go, let it go. He's taking care of the football. He's shown he can make great decisions. So why not? Unfortunately, it just didn't work in our favor. And I also think that if we just get a couple more stops, then – no one's really talking about this. You know, no one's talking about, hey, why are we throwing the ball so much? Um, turnovers just really hurt us. And the, the Baltimore defense is susceptible to the long ball. I, I think according to PFF, they're one of the top worst teams um, against the long ball. And that's what they tried today. You saw them throw the ball down the field a bit. It didn't work out for them. I'm sure hindsight's always 20-20. You can go back and say we do things differently. But once you get in a fight, Man, you try to stick with your game plan as much as possible. I think their game plan was to attack them through the air. It just didn't work out for them. Michael talks, Brady, about getting a few more stops, and then we're not talking about it. Getting a few more stops was very difficult in that second half on Sunday. I don't know how you prepare for a guy like Lamar Jackson. You see him once a year, once every few years, 
it's just you get out there and it's it's I would imagine virtually impossible to stop maybe the greatest running quarterback in the history of the sport, Brady. Yeah, well, they're probably glad that they only see him that they're only going to have to see him once every few years. You know that he's you know not in their division or their conference. Um, you know, Michael mentioned Michael Vick earlier, and and that was actually the name that one player uh, mentioned afterwards, Brandon Jackson. When I asked him, you know, what was it like trying to take down? Uh, Lamar Jackson with as quick as he is and he said it's basically like you know playing uh, you know playing Madden against Michael Vick it was extremely difficult was his quote and so um, you know I, I look at that as you know that that's sort of an extenuating circumstance of the fact that they only had one sack and I think that that sack uh, it was Brandon Jackson's sack was their only official hit on Jackson um, you know I think that you know Jevion Clowney also said that you know with a guy like that um, the, the pass rush priority kind of changes where you, you kind of have to be more mindful of staying in your pass rush lanes. You have to be, uh, you maybe can't afford to be as aggressive as you would with a, a more stationary quarterback. Um, so I think that was part of it, but you know, only one sack and one hit, um, it's going to be hard, especially against a quarterback like that. Michael Bumpus, you, you played on a lot of good football teams. You played on a lot of good offenses. You played on offenses that relied on the tight end. Did we on Sunday see the first impact, the first effect of Will Disley's absence for Russell Wilson. Do you think that had anything to do with the struggling of the pass game? Um, it might have, you know, because Will Disley has kind of been that that uh, that security blanket, that guy you can count on in the seam, the guy you can count on in the flat. And they tried Hollister there. Hollister had three catches for about 20 yards, I believe. He showed that he can catch the ball. But I think because Disley goes down, they don't really know what they have in that tight end spot. And during camp, I saw Hollister. He's a route runner. He can catch the football. But he hasn't really played. So now he's thrown into this position. you got Luke Wilson also, who's new to the team. He knows the offense. He kind of knows the expectations. But there's nothing like having a guy who's been there all through camp, all through preseason, who really has a relationship with Russell Wilson. And they're kind of on the same page. So it might have been a factor. Um, Honestly, I think that maybe getting pressure on the quarterback was a factor. This is the first week that I think that Russell Wilson having to maneuver through the pocket constantly kind of caught up to it. And now he's maneuvering through the pocket. Now you're asking him to throw the ball down the field. A couple of receivers have some drops. It was just the, the perfect storm today. You know, I don't think we played our best. I don't think the play calling was the best. Um, Russell Wilson makes mistakes. Rookies make mistakes. Um, that's what it came down to. End of the day, these guys are still 5-2. and two. You know, I think uh, true fans and true analysts are going to be like, hey, yes, they messed up here, they messed up there. These are things they could fix. But they're still 5-2. and two. They're still a good football team in a position make a push for the playoffs in the second half of the season. You know, Bump talks about, Brady, the the pass rush of the Ravens. Interesting that it got home so much on Sunday against the Seahawks when you consider they were a blitzing team coming in, but they didn't get home a lot. Is the consensus that the uh, Seahawks offensive line was confused and didn't have a good football game on Sunday, Brady? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, th- there was times, in, especially in the first half, where you know it seemed like the pressure that was getting to Wilson – it was it was sort of on those longer developing plays where you know it, it, we've seen we've definitely seen it in the past where you know plays just don't have a chance from the beginning right like you know yeah. so, you know yeah. somebody will miss a block yeah. uh, and Russell Wilson will have some guy in his face right away um, I, I probably have, would have to go back and watch to to make a more definitive point about this but it seemed like especially in the first half it was a lot of those. Uh, plays, especially when they got in the red zone too, um, where there there just wasn't anything developing, and, and maybe um, they, you know they weren't sacks, but you would call those more 
plays that you would chalk up to the coverage uh, and the fact that Russell just had to hold on to the ball more so than uh, you know, the offensive line really not holding up in, in ways that we haven't seen it in the past. We're talking to Michael Bumpus, former Seahawk, former Cougar, wide receiver great, also uh, Brady Henderson. It's all brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Football season is fireplace season, and we recommend that you let the good guys at Fireside Home Solutions come to you and take a look and give you an analysis of your home. Let's turn it around, Bump, Michael Bumpus, and, and talk a little bit about the defense for the Seahawks. Had you offered me before the game started in the first half six points, two field goals, 65 yards rushing. I think they only had five first downs. This was the best offense in the NFL. The Seahawks defense did plenty to put them in position to lead. Now, of course, because of the pick six, they didn't lead. Something different happened. And maybe you're just going to tell me when you're dealing with an athlete like Lamar Jackson, it's just a matter of time before he gets going. You can't contain him an entire game. Yeah, you can contain that offense for a half, but at some point the dam's going to break. Is that is that where we stand on this? Yeah, I think that is where we stand. You know, at some point things are going to happen. He's a, a really good athlete out there. And for the most part, I think the Seahawks defense played okay. They only had one, I, I believe, one sack, one hit on the quarterback. We'd like to see more of that. That's why we invested in, in Clowney and Anza and hopefully Reed coming back would change that. But that just didn't happen. What I saw from that defense, they were locked down. And when it was third and short, third and long, or second and long, Lamar Jackson showed that he was just a better athlete than most of those guys on the field. It's so hard to account for a guy who can get up in a who can drop back for a pass, see man coverage, and just go. Because most of the time, these DBs and these safeties have their backs to the quarterback. They're, they're locking down their guy, and this guy's running, and a blur runs by it, you know, yeah. 15, 20 yards down the field. Yeah. Um, he rushed, I believe they rushed for 199 yards and threw for slightly over 100 yards. Um, but a lot of those yards were big plays on third downs. They were one for one on fourth down, which scored a touchdown. And they're not going to see anything else like this for the rest of the year. That's the positive thing. The negative thing is you have to find a way to stop a guy like that because the, the way this NFL is going, you're going to see more athletic quarterbacks throughout the year. You still got to see Kyler Murray again. He's a little different than, than Lamar Jackson. But the defense didn't play horribly. I think that Lamar Jackson was just a little better, especially when he saw man coverage and he knew he could run. Brady, what's your summary on the defensive line? Jadavion Clowney made some good plays out there on Sunday. It seems like he he makes some real signature-looking plays, disruptive plays, but then disappears for a while in between those disruptive plays. Of course, we didn't see Ansa. And how do you feel like and how do they feel like Jaron Reed uh, came back after missing six weeks? Well, yeah, he, he played quite a bit, and, and that was the word from Pete Carroll you know, earlier in the week. He didn't really say how much he would play, but – he said that based on what he had seen from Reed in practice, that he that looks like a guy who was really taking care of himself, uh, you know, during his suspension. And so, um, you're looking at the stat sheet. I think he had two uh, two tackles. I didn't really see him, um, you know, come close to a sack unless I missed it. Um, so I think, in you know, all things considered, for uh, you know, a guy's first time out after six weeks, um, you know, I think they'll probably take that. He didn't get hurt. You know, that's probably the the, the thing that they would like the most. Um, as far as Clowney, you know. I just think that there are so few guys at that position, you know, defensive linemen, you know, like Aaron Donald, who are really going to, you know, stick out and flash on, um, you know, maybe six plays out of ten. Um, you know, I think what you, what they've gotten or what they got from Clowney in that game and what they've gotten uh, this season is is not as 
I think he's been more productive than just one sack would suggest. You know, he had a few tackles for loss um, before he had one in this game. Um, he might have had two as I look at the stat sheet right now and try to find his name. Uh, he had one and, and three tackles, and, and the one was a big one, I think, on that first drive. So um, I, I think that he's been okay. There's just not that many guys in the NFL that can do what Aaron Donald can do and, and really make you know wow you a handful of times a game. Bump, when we finally see all these guys play together, which we haven't yet, Reed, Ansa, Clowney, Ford, those linebackers. I think that Seahawks fans are sitting around, and we've been saying it for now six, seven weeks going back to the preseason. Just wait. Just wait until everybody's in there at the same time. This is going to be a really good front seven. This is going to be a front seven that's as good as anybody. Is it wishful thinking? Are we at the point of the season where we say to ourselves, okay, they might be all right, but they're not going to be our world because we would have seen more of that up until now? No, I don't think it's wishful thinking. The fact of the matter is that they haven't all played together. You know, and you combine that with the fact that Bradley McDougal didn't play today on the back end. You know, you haven't seen the, uh, this defensive front, let alone this, this defense as a whole, play together. And that means something. These guys communicate with each other. They, they know how each other plays. So um, it definitely is a factor. And I, I, like, I like what Brady was saying. These guys on the defensive line, they're not getting the sacks that people would hope but it feels like they're disrupting the pass game. They're disrupting the quarterback, getting back into his drop. Unfortunately, they played against a really good quarterback who can just step up in the pocket and, and let loose. So, you know what? I'm going to give it one or two more weeks. Right. You know, once everyone's healthy, give us our best shot. If nothing's there, then we have to just face reality and just depend on the offense like we expected going into the game and hope Russell Wilson pulls it through for us. Brady, last question for you. Take on the Brady-Henderson index for us. I know it's really hard at this stage to try to figure out who's going to play, who's not going to play in Atlanta. I'd like to know whether Matt Ryan's going to play against the Seattle Seahawks. He left on Sunday in a walking boot with a bad ankle thanks to Aaron Donald. Uh, a lot of guys, a lot of uh, very important people were not available. We talked about Ansa. There's Dwayne Brown. We talked about McDougal, and there's others that did not play. Wh- who's going to be available? Do you get a sense that some of these guys are going to become available when the uh, Seahawks travel to Atlanta on Sunday against the Falcons? Yeah, Pete Carroll said post game that it's looking like uh, like McDougal is going to be able to play. He did not, you know, say that definitively. Um, you know, because it was only Sunday and there's still a long time to go until the next game. But he seemed pretty confident there. And, you know, that gives them an interesting decision to make it safety just because, um, you know, I thought Marquis Blair for his first career start played pretty well. Had that, um, you know, that, that nice pass breakup. I believe it was on third down. Yeah. Uh, finished with six tackles, uh, had another one on special teams. And, um, you know, he, he was in the box a lot, and, and it seemed like he was around the ball quite a bit. And um, he needs to play. You know, he, he's not going to, you know, develop sitting on the bench like that, uh, or at least not as quickly as he would if he's playing. And, you know, we've talked about this before. They think they have four starting caliber safeties, and obviously they only have two spots, you know, two starting spots there. So um, it doesn't sound like Lano Hill is going to be back for at least a couple weeks. That was the word, you know, from Pete Carroll last week uh, when he was talking about Hill's elbow injury. So um, that, you know, that knocks one guy out of the equation. And then the question is, uh, you know, with McDougal back, do you start – Blair over Tedrick Thompson. Obviously, that would push, um, you know, that would push McDougal from strong safety to free safety. Um, presumably, assuming that they want to keep Blair uh, at strong safety, there. Of course, you know, there's there's a lot of interchangeability there with the safety spots, and they think that he can play both of those spots. Uh, but that is going to be an interesting decision, just because I think Blair played pretty well, and you saw Tedrick Thompson get beat. Uh, you know, he led a receiver over the top of him for a big play on that opening drive. 
Bump, we let you uh, receive the opening kickoff since you're the guest. We're also going to give you the last word, so make it count, will you? Make this count. When I say to you <laughs> five and two, there's a, there's a, my favorite expression that my father, may he rest in peace, used to say is it depends upon how you tilt your head. You can look at something, you can tilt your head this way and see one thing, tilt your head that way and see another. Five and two. If you tilt your head to the left, you'd say, God, we would take five and two. If you had offered us five and two, Jaron Reed out the first six games, we would have signed up for five and two after seven. They're right in the middle of it. They're playing good football for the most part. They're five and two. Tilt your head the other way and you see a San Francisco team that's playing great football, six and oh already. The first game between those two teams, November the 11th, is in Santa Clara. The Rams have gone out and gotten Jalen Ramsey, and you're starting to lose a little touch. It's early to say this, but you're starting to lose a little touch with the 49ers. They're now two games ahead of you in the loss column. How would you, for Seahawks fans, kind of sum up where you think they are with nine games to play? Before this, uh, before this game, I would say they're, they're contenders. They're the top four teams in the conference. But obviously, after coming this game, you got to kind of reevaluate some things. The Niners are winning ball games; they are undefeated, but they haven't really played anybody. They still have to play the Green Bay Packers. They still have to play the Panthers and the Saints. They, you know, they still got to play some guys. Um, from now, the Hawks just have to win football games. Every team in the NFC West won this weekend, except for the Seattle Seahawks. So they definitely took a, a step back. Now, it's where do you go from here? Um, and the Rams, the Rams acquired Jalen Ramsey. They're getting better. Um, Arizona seems like they're figuring it out. You know, it's too early to really say who each team is. We know that the, the 49ers are undefeated, but they haven't really played anybody. We know that the Rams were 500 going into this week, but they've, they've made some, some, some moves. So maybe they're getting better. Um, we thought that the Arizona Cardinals and, and the Air Raid was going to falter, but now they're winning ball games, And that's the beautiful thing about the NFL. you got to wait a week. You know, we're going to talk for a week about who's doing what and, and where everyone's going. And, and coming into this week, we thought the Seahawks would win. And, and coming into this week, we thought the 49ers would, would blow out the Redskins. But it started raining. They only scored nine points. You know, so every week, scenarios change. But right now, I would say the NFC West is the strongest division in the NFL. And the Seahawks fell from contenders to, hey, we're a playoff team. And every week, they're going to have to try to prove themselves and try to keep up with the Niners. When they meet the Niners, they ha- cannot have another loss under their belt because mm. I assume the 49ers are going to be undefeated by the time they play them. So, hey, time will tell. That's why I love this game. That's why I love competition. That's why I love that you have to wait a week because there's a lot of time to speculate and a lot of time to try to you know, put your own twist on things and see how things fall. Michael Bumpus, thank you for, so much for joining us on Mitch Unfiltered again. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And Brady, Brady Henderson of ESPN, ESPN.com. He's always with us, Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, Brady. Safe travels to Atlanta. All right, I appreciate it, Mitch. Thank you. That was fun. The voices of Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, Seahawks insider, and Michael Bumpus, the former Seahawk wide receiver, Cougar great, talking about the disappointment that was on Sunday. It'll be a lot more fun to have those two guys back together in the wake of of a Seahawks victory, Seahawks and Falcons at 10 a.m. Pacific time on Sunday. So it's a rainy, chilly Monday night, and you're curled up in your family room ready for some Monday night football. You've got the fireplace revved up, right? 
or you don't have a fireplace warming the home in an efficient manner, or your old fireplace is outdated and somewhat of an eyesore. Enter Fireside Home Solutions stage left. Not only does John's team at Fireside Home Solutions make it possible for Mitch Unfiltered to have the presence of guys like Neuheisel, King, Lockenfora, Henderson, and much more, but they also happen to be the Northwest leader in revolutionizing your home, and you'll be amazed. Here's what I suggest. Take these guys up on their offer to come to your home free of charge. Take a look at your space or your old unit and work with you on a solution that satisfies your craving and budget. Then visit one of their six showrooms from Seattle down to Portland. Old fireplaces waste a ton of energy and fireside home solutions really simplify the process. They also do outdoor barbecue setups and garage doors. Check them out. Fireside Home Solutions at firesidehomesolutions.com. Unfiltered. I'm taking the dog. Sure I am. Yeah, I, I, I know better than most the value of Husky Stadium. And uh, when the dogs want to be heard, the dogs will be heard. So I'm going to pick uh, Washington in Seattle. They fake the inside run. They throw it to Jalen Red. Is he in? I don't think the ball crossed the plate. Big hit by Jim McDuffie. Now they signal touchdown. I'm going to take Penn State with the whiteout. I don't see enough with Michigan's offense, and I thought even their defense was susceptible this last weekend against Illinois. He scored 25 unanswered points. And Clipper, after converting, looks to find Handler deep. He's got a touchdown, Penn State. As good as uh, Will Muschamp and that South Carolina team were, I'm going to take Florida in that game. I think their defense uh, will get back up and, and play well. Here's Trask looking, throwing, receivers there, caught, touchdown, swing! Utah is very frustrated with themselves, having squandered a chance to be sitting here undefeated. I think they're going to play really, really well. They'll confuse a freshman quarterback. It won't surprise me that that will be a 21-point victory. And there it is, a record-setting run. Zach Moss runs his way into Utah football history. And it's time, thanks to Fireside Home Solutions, to chat with our old friend, Rick Neuheisel, all the way out there on the East Coast. He's obviously with CBS. There's so much to talk to you about from this weekend in college football, Rick Neuheisel. We have Tua and the surgery on Sunday for the high ankle sprain. We had Derek Mason, who's a Vanderbilt man. He's a Vanderbilt man, Rick Neuheisel. Will Will Muschamp, uh, uh, don't run 40 yards away from me and drop a flag. You're gutless. We had the Sooner Schooner cutting too sharp of a turn and going down. We had six overtimes and a new rule for Virginia Tech versus North Carolina. But we begin with the heartbreak. You know what it's like around here. When the beloved Huskies can't win and can't close the deal against the Oregon Ducks. Well, you said it uh, succinctly. They couldn't close the deal. 28-14, they were playing brilliantly. Uh, It it looked as if all was going to go the Husky way, as kind of I anticipated. Remember a week ago, you called me a homer said I was just <laughs> leaning towards the Huskies, <laughs> leaning towards the Huskies because uh, it was easier to go that way. 
I truly believe that because of the home field advantage, they would they would find themselves in that kind of situation. But at the end of the day, Mitch, and this has been true the last four weeks, in the last four weeks, in 50 third down tries, they've converted 11. That's 22% for those keeping score at home. That will never get it done. They're 2-2 two and two in those games. But 22% on third down, given the quarterback's talent, given the talent that is uh, surrounding it, they do not have a good enough plan on third down. Do you think from what you saw, I don't know how to ask, how to articulate this question. I would think from a coaching and playing perspective that it's very difficult not to stop what you're doing, what you've been doing for the entire game when the finish line starts to appear. So they they go in the game as, as slight underdogs. They're not supposed to win. Right. Everybody's talking about this Oregon defense, yet in the first half, they're masterful. They're running the ball. They're controlling the line of scrimmage. They're throwing the ball around. They're stopping the run game on defense and putting Justin Herbert in third and long situation. They're doing everything, the exact recipe to, to win the game. And then you get to the stage of the game where you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. You can see the right. end. You can see the end. I, I would think, you know, everybody around here are saying they, they stopped doing what they were doing. Uh, how difficult is it not to stop doing what you're doing when you see the end line? It's very difficult because you, you do in your mind start saying, okay, let me take this clock a little further down into the, 40 second clock. Right. Let me let me see if I can get rid of a few extra downs just by eliminating that. Let me let me try to run the ball here or maybe earlier in the game I would have thrown the ball just so I can get a little more clock off. That that is a natural inclination and actually I think a smart inclination. What you can't do, what you can't do is lose sight of what you have still in your arsenal and plays that you love on third down that you know you can execute at a high proficiency, that you know that uh, are, are going to be, high, uh, at least from your vantage point, highly successful. You, you have to have a, a, a bushel full of those. And to me, 22% over four games is evidence, exhibit A, that they don't have that. And in that case, that puts more pressure on you being aggressive on downs one and two. Right. But what doesn't make sense is that for the most part, I think most Husky fans would agree. The least of their problems is Jacob Eason. He is playing very well. He had a good day on Saturday. How do you rationalize that the quarterback's playing very well, but they're not converting on third down? over the last four games. How, how can those two, those two things kind of don't, don't make sense to me. I'm having trouble getting my own. Not on. enough, not enough dimension formationally on CBS this week. We had uh, Joe Burrow and LSU against Mississippi state. Right. And what Joe Brady, the, uh, the offensive assistant who joined the LSU staff from new, new Orleans Saints uh, during the off season has done for LSU has created a variety of formations that creates opportunity for Burrow to get the ball out of his hands expediently and accurately. And to me, that's what Washington needs to do. 
And it, it isn't as though Chris Peterson hasn't been creative in his past. We've seen all sorts of creativity, whether it be unbalanced formations and tight ends lining up at tackle slots and so forth. What I just don't see enough of is the ability to create, and what I call them, Mitch, is condensed formations. It's what the Rams made famous a year ago, where you get bunches and three receivers in tight, a tight receiver on the other side, you create two by two or three by one, and everybody can cross the field and create uh, opportunities to sit down or extend based on man or zone and just pick things apart uh, for the four and five yard gain, assuming that downs one and two got you into a third and five or less. Hmm. That's to me what isn't happening right now at Washington. And 22% is an indictment. And there's already articles being written, as you could imagine, in Sunday's Seattle Times, there was an article or a, col- a column written, no matter what happens from here, it's a disappointing season for the Huskies. They've got the three losses. They're out of it for the uh, for the conference championship game. And yet, you look at them and you say, well, they've got Utah here in a couple of weeks. They could win that game, which would be a, a, a national kind of head-turning win. They could win out. They could win the Apple Cup. They could go to an Alamo or a Holiday Bowl. I mean, how how do you how do you not look at the clippings and not hear the noise of it's over? It doesn't matter what they do. They could go ten and three now, and it's disappointing because if you had offered us ten and three at the beginning of the season and no chance at a conference title, we would have turned it down. So this is a this is a bad season for Chris Peterson in Washington. If that can be the narrative for anybody that is the barometer of success for a program if you get a chance to have a 10-win season that you consider unsuccessful you have reached the pinnacle of college football uh and and chris peterson would never espouse to the theory that it's unsuccessful with 10 wins uh and and i i would say that that's where they're going to be pointing you know they've got a chance to still factor in heavily in the race utah coming to town utah you know desperately trying to hang on to their South uh, situation, actually a tiebreaker behind USC right now. But uh, ultimately, Washington, to me, is building for the future. And this is whether Jacob Eason stays or goes. They're building towards the future defensively with some young offensive linemen, with some receivers that are just trying to get into uh, a rhythm. And if you can get 10 wins, that's the barometer of consistency. So I think the 10-win mark is still a huge carrot for the dogs. I think that there are – and by the way, this is the voice of Rick Neuheisel brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions where football season is obviously fireplace season and they encourage you to sit down with their professionals and look for a great solution for a new fireplace in your home. FiresideHomeSolutions.com. I think if there was a an ability – to take the Wildcat offense out and execute it, have an execution of the Wildcat offense in this town. I think Washington Husky fans would be all for that. Where does Rick Neuheisel stand on 2019 and the Wildcat offense? Well, I understand uh, if you're just using it for a third and short situation. I think ultimately the, the, the best Wildcat is when your quarterback is basically the dual threat capability. And I think Eason is clearly enough of a run threat uh, when you're running him in third and three or less or in red zone goal line situations that that becomes a huge weapon. I mean, 
Husky fans who paid any attention to the Seahawks today saw Lamar Jackson go up and down the field. And that is the ultimate weapon because not only is Lamar Jackson a phenomenal athlete with the ball under his arm, but every time he hands it off, he's blocking somebody because everybody has to be, or at least one person has to be accountable for him on every play. And that creates a math issue for the defensive coordinator and the brain trust for anybody defending him, which means you have to play one safety defense, which is the easiest of all defenses to throw against. There's more air, uh, whether it be uh, zone, three deep, four under, or man, where you get, you're playing man with a single high safety, there's more air to throw people open. So to me, that offense if not employed, is like playing offense with an arm tied behind your back. Rick Neuheisel is our guest. Did you see, by the way, the the trick play that Washington tried to run on their first kickoff return? Did you catch that by chance? I did not. Okay. I did not. Tell they, me about it. Well, they had Chico McClatcher wearing the uh, the purple the purple uni and he was he was set up let's see if i can articulate this he was set up to one side on the kickoff return and the ball was kicked to the other side and when the ball was in the air he laid down he took a step back and laid down in the end zone almost to be camouflaged with the the paint camouflaged with the end zone yes yeah, he, the end his zone jersey matched the end zone the yes, jersey I've seen this before okay he he then pops up and the guy across the field that catches the 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 kickoff throws it across the field to him because no one's paying attention and they don't even know he's there and he proceeds to run 45 or 50 yards until he's knocked out of bounds of course it uh, it was it came back there's a penalty apparently there's a new rule or a newish rule that you can't hide a football player you can't hide <laughs> a football player and I got to thinking whether you saw that play or not that Rick Neuheisel must have a story or two up his sleeve about trick plays that he either remembers running or having run against him. I have a uh, trick play that Air Force ran against me (laughs) where they threw it out to a wide receiver uh, and it looked as if the ball was incomplete. But basically it was a lateral that skipped off the turf. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen that one, yeah. And the guy caught it and acted like it was incomplete and then threw it down the field and it was a touchdown against us. And I'm like, that's brilliant. You know, touche. I wished I was on it. I did, wasn't. Uh, I've had double passes in my own life. Uh, we had a double pass one time against USC that inexplicably we called on third and eight, which is not the time for the double pass. <laughs> but it was number 21 on the play sheet, and, and Norm Chow called play 22. <laughs> and somehow, some way, it got signaled in to our quarterback, and he runs the double pass. And I'm going, you got to be kidding me <laughs> against the Trojans on third and eight, and it hits for a touchdown. Uh, I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, uh, are you kidding me? This is happening right now? Great call. Were you a trick guy, a trick play proponent, or were you not much for that? Did you spend time I, in practices? I like, I, oh, I, I like a couple gadgets. Yeah, gadgets. Kids all like them. Yeah. Here's the problem with the gadgets. You have to run them. And, you, and, and yet, you, it's, it's like wine. You can't open it until it's, it's ready. Yeah. Right? You, can't, you just can't force a trick play. It's got to be not only 
at the right down and distance, but it's got to be at the right time in terms of where you are in, in game theory, right? Mm-hmm. In, in first set, in first quarter, how many points are you behind? You just can't just willy-nilly them. So sometimes they'll sit on your, like wine, they'll sit on your uh, counter for weeks, and the, and the your players like, are we ever going to run this as they practice it? So that becomes a little bit of the issue. I had a, uh, a trick that I used against Texas A&M when I was at Colorado, uh, in a very close game, I just wanted them to use a timeout. I told our guys, we're going to line up. We're not running our play, but we're going to line up in this this uh, extended formation where I had linemen all the way out to the sideline and so forth, and we'll take a delay, but I'm going to try to get them to use a timeout in a really close game so we get rid of a timeout. And lo and behold, we got R.C. Slocum to take one. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, it, and it ended up helping us win the game as we tried to cement it a couple uh, a series later. But uh, yeah, the, the trick plays are wonderful. You just but the ultimate chest is: does the coach have the patience to wait to when to call it? If I were an offensive coordinator, which I guess is not happening, I've been waiting and waiting for the call. <laughs> I've never gotten the call. I've always thought that I would be a great play caller. I I always thought that I could I could draw up some real fun and real interesting plays. Here's the play that I don't uh, either I've never seen it or I've very very rarely seen it that I think would work. It's the play where you send the offense out to try to draw the team off sides, but you're not really going to snap the ball. We've seen that how many? We see it a million times every Sunday and Sunday. See it all the right? time. All the yeah, time. Normally on fourth down. Right. Normally fourth, on fourth down. Fourth down. Yes, yeah, he comes in. He comes out. The quarterback comes out. It's fourth and a yard or fourth and two yards. He starts barking. The head's moving. No, and then you see the defense kind of like say to each other, "Don't move, don't move." He, he's not, he's not snapping, right, and it becomes right. very. If I were You'd an offensive, I would lull him to sleep. I would have the quarterback kind of step back, look at the sidelines again, try it again, step back, look at the sidelines, and make it obvious that I'm not snapping it, and then I'd snap it. Then I'd snap it once the defense really felt at the very end of the clock, oh, they're just going to call a timeout and not snap it. Then I would snap it at the very end. Catch the defense off. I don't see people do that. Uh, it's, it's, it's not unlike the uh, the clock play late in games, right, where Dan Marino yeah. hit Mark the – uh, Mark Ingram. Big Mark Ingram against uh, the yeah. Jets, yeah. right? yeah. Yeah. In, in the Meadowlands where he just uh, sticks one into the corner of the end zone right there when yeah. he, everybody thinks he's just going to clock one. Yeah. The play that I always wanted to run, I, there's, there's, okay, let me, I have an imaginary play that I always wanted to run. Then I had one that I was actually oh, ready to run. This. I'm going to tell you about this. both. I love. The, the imaginary one was the punt. I always wanted to have a punter that had a great throwing arm so that he'd catch it in, in the stand-up punt formations that are vogue now. We would we, – you would have everybody and he would launch a pass into like the coffin corner. I saw it. And I it happened. Def- you've seen this play, right? Okay. So I, so this is so funny. Maybe may, and I'm sorry to interrupt. Maybe this is not what you're talking about. I've seen it one time, the play that I'm thinking of, you tell me if this is not what you're, what you're dreaming of. I went to the kingdom my first year. I think it was my first year in Seattle. no, no, I don't think Dennis Erickson was the coach. I, I, I'm not sure if Mike Holmgren or Dennis Erickson. It was like 95-96. The Chiefs were playing okay. the Seahawks. And the Chiefs were at about the 40 or 45-yard line of the Seahawks. And they came out with the punt. And the punter caught the snap, looked like he was going to punt, but then threw the ball way up in the air as if he punted it. As if he punted it, right? Right, yeah. and then the 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 punt the the 
the receiver, the return man, got out of the way thinking that he punted it. And the and right. the, and and the he's gunner, not, the good, he's been told never to catch the ball right? behind the ten yard. And the gunner caught the ball. The gunner caught the ball right there and was able to. And they, I don't think he scored a touchdown, but but he caught the ball. Then they realized what was happening, and then the Chiefs had the ball. I'm I'm pretty sure it was the Chiefs against the Seahawks. I've, I wanted and I've to never do that. I've never My seen it since. I've never seen it since. I've seen it. I want, but I never had a punter that could throw it. <laughs> I wanted to do that my whole life as a head coach. And let me tell you one other trick that I had up my sleeve, and this goes back to Huskies, and it's one of those I wished I, I, if I had it to do over again, I would change my mind a hundred in a hundred times. Yeah. So we're playing Texas in the Holiday Bowl, right? And we, we've had a great plan, and we got a 16-point lead when Major Applewhite comes in and it is evaporated, right? They've gone up and down the field. And Major Applewhite throws another touchdown pass to Roy Williams, and now they've taken the lead. The Huskies are not done yet. We come back down the field, and it's second down and one on the plus 38. And I, I'm in the ear. Keith Gilbertson and I are managing the clock drive. And I say, Gilby, we're running the ball here because we cannot court, score too soon. We have to make sure we leave very little time because Applewhite's shredding us. We hand it off to Willie Hurst. And just as the great minds collaborate, Willie Hurst goes 39 yards for a touchdown. Okay. Yep. So now I have a little popover kick. Do you remember Nick Saban's popover kick? Yeah. Kick against Clemson, yeah. which ends up winning the game, yep, being one of the key plays in the game. Yep. Okay. Steals a possession. I have that play. John Anderson has practiced it. He's good at it. I walk over to him. Are you ready for that? And he goes. He gets eyes light up. But you know, I could tell he was a gamer. I said, We're doing it. Randy Hart, my defensive line, my beloved defensive line coach. And if there is a Husky coach that deserves to be enshrined in a Hall of Fame, it's Randy Hart. Okay. Yeah. He comes up, coach, we can stop him. You know, he's got Woody Hayes just in his blood. We can stop him. Don't do it. We can stop him. And I looked at him and I just gave in. I said, okay, we're kicking it out of the end zone. And they went right down the field, like four (laughs) plays. So win the game. I couldn't sleep that night. Uh, I knew they were going to go down the field in four plays. As much as I love Chris Massey, he couldn't cover Roy Williams. Uh, we couldn't get any pressure on Major Applewhite, and he's having the game of his uh, life. It was my job as the head coach to call the popover. And Randy, it was his job to fight for his defense and fight for his defensive line. I needed to overrule him. I, I regret mm, it to this day. Mm. So this is why I tell you that you, you have to have when to call these tricks and then you have to have the guts to call these tricks. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of John Anderson, yeah. can we just all wish just for a day we were James McCork? Who's James McCork? You're asking now who's James McCork? Who's James McCork? McCork? He's the kicker for Illinois. Oh, yes. Yesterday. Yes. Yesterday. Saturday. Fate would happen. Yes. Illinois, two for ten on third down. Yes. A pedestrian offense. Their quarterback, the the transfer from uh, Michigan's nine for twenty one. It's it's just another day for Illinois. Just get out of the way. Let these other guys have their way. We're just uh, 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 basically a speed bump in their schedule. And yet, two turnovers to finish the game, and James McCourt gets a chance to line up for a thirty nine yard field goal. Yes, and he strikes it. And I say. It's a good day to be James McCourt. Oh, it's a good day to be James McCourt's parents. Oh. It's a good day to be James McCourt's grandparents. 
because that day will live forever, and that's what makes college football so special. One of the biggest upsets in the history of the Big Ten. I think they were 30 or 32-point underdogs. They won the game 32. straight 32. Yeah. 32 when the day started. Yeah, yeah. I guess at some places it fell to 30. Unbelievable. But 32 points. Lovey Smith, in the last three years, this is Lovey Smith's fourth, fourth year, in the last three years had won two Big Ten games. Amazing. I got a couple. We, we spent so much time on trick plays. I'll just uh, let, give me a thought or two on a couple of big items. Number one, Tua, sure. Tua had on Sunday, he had ankle surgery. Blood spinning surgery. Yeah, he had the, 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 the blood surgery on the high ankle sprain. He may or may not miss one, two, three games. If Let's just play. Let's just play along with me on this. If, sure. if Tua didn't play in Tuscaloosa in three weeks against LSU. I'm assuming he's going to play in that game, maybe beforehand. But let's just have some fun. You and fun. I both are assuming that. Right, yeah. right. Let's have some fun. But if he didn't. Who would win that game? LSU. In Tuscaloosa. Yes. Joe Burrow is a dynamic player. I said this over the week, and I'll say it to you. He's the next Tom Brady. Okay. Joe Burrow is fantastic. Okay. He's got ice water in his veins. He's very, very comfortable in the pocket and yet savvy enough to move and still have eyes down the field. He had a play yesterday where he climbed up in the pocket, started to move to his left, and then threw a ball you know, 45 yards down the field in stride for a touchdown. He has a leadership quality that is Brady, very Brady-esque. He's been beat out. He's been you know, told he wasn't good enough, which is very Brady-esque. So he's always going to have a little chip on his shoulder. Joe Burrow is sensational. How hot is the bottom of the khaki, the khaki pants <laughs> right about now? Do what do you think about that, Ricky? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought Michigan left it all on the field. There was enough to be excited about. But right now he has to ask himself and ask himself in a very honest way if this offense is working and what needs to be done for the offense to take the next step. Maybe there was enough improvement, and there was, to say, let's go another week. But another week means this is Notre Dame coming to town. And Notre Dame's defense, uh, led by a kid by the name of Clark Lee, who was a coach for me, uh, I think is every bit as good as Penn State. And we're going to see if they can get it done in the big house in front of a home crowd in in a nostalgic game, if not a national championship game, a nostalgic game that's going to mean a lot to the Michigan fans. Pick that game, pick Auburn LSU, and pick Wisconsin-Ohio State, and we're finished. Ohio State, one-sided. Wisconsin, their heart's been taken out of their chest. And especially since their leader, Jonathan Taylor, was one of the guys who fumbled the ball to lead to that uh, finish. Uh, Ohio State has been on a mission, and when you put together the consistent defense that's happening there with Greg Madison, the former Michigan coach and Baltimore Raven coordinator, it's a it's a full meal deal. So I'm on the Buckeyes there. I think Auburn's going to give LSU a whale of a game. I think it's a final possession game, but I'm still going with Joe Burrow. Okay. Bo Nix isn't ready for these kind of shows when it, when he has to be. It takes great management by Gus Malzahn, and I think that game's going to require that he free him up at some point, and it's going to end up costing him. So I'm on the Bayou Bengals at home. And the last game you and I talked about was the Michigan-Notre Dame game, and I'm going Notre Dame. As much as I like the improvement I saw from Michigan, I think Notre Dame is still a good enough team 
to go on the road and win this game. And I don't think there's enough dimension to the Michigan offense to to confuse Notre Dame's defense. So I'm going Ian Book over Shea Patterson. Okay, by the way, for the record, since you, you want to be graded, you had Washington plus the points. You lost that one close. You had uh, Penn State. You lost that Didn't one. Didn't that get up to four and a half? No, sorry. Sorry. And the worst one is you had Penn State, and they were given seven and a half. They won by seven. Uh, but you called Florida. And not only did you call Utah, you called it a 21-point victory, and it was 21 to three was the final in the rain. So with four with four turnovers, with four turnovers, Utah turned it over four times in that okay, game. That's right. So you were you were pretty good. You were square. You let's call you square. We're even up. We're all square through through five or six games. We've got you on record for uh, Ohio State big LSU on the final possession. And uh, yeah, I would take if, if Auburn right now is a double digit. I, I would take Auburn in the point. Okay, and Notre Dame to beat Michigan. I'd take Notre Dame no matter what the line is. Yes, there he is. Football season is fireplace season. Fireside Home Solutions, and we love having Rick Neuheisel as a guest each and every week on this podcast. Thank you, Rick. Have a great week. We'll talk to you in seven days from now. See you, Mitchie. Take care, man. There he is, Rick Neuheisel, CBS Sports, on the disappointment of Saturday afternoon at Husky Stadium and the rest of the weekend in the world of college football. So you've heard me tell you about Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest, and you're appreciative of Tyler Hayes' desire to be a part of the podcast and bring great prizes to some of my longstanding contests. However, your next thought is, how can I use their expertise when I don't have the wealth that all their clients have? Aha! Introducing Evervestment powered by Evergreen Golf Call. This is a digital investing platform that combines the ease of a robo-advisor with decades of proven investment experience. Using this online solution, you don't need to be a millionaire to get access to some of the same strategies that they use for their clients, all at a discounted fee. Evervestment combines the ease of a digital account onboarding with the benefits of an actively managed portfolio with decades of investment experience to back it up. Evervestment also provides you access to an actual human advisor should you need it, not some pop-up chat box on their website. So whether you're saving for your first vacation home or your first day of retirement, Evervestment can get you there. Evervestment.com, spelled E-V-E-R-V-E-S-T-M-E-N-T.com. Evervestment from Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. They fake the inside run. They throw it to Jalen Rand. Is he in? I don't think the ball crossed the plane. Big hit by Trent McDuffie. Now they signal touchdown. Two and a half minutes to go. The field goal out the window now. Pressure. He retreats and gets sacked. He kept retreating, but they kept forcing him back before he could move. Oregon by four. Eason throws incomplete. They want a flag in Seattle. They won't get it. Try to get it to Puka Nakua. The Oregon defense holds. They take over on downs. And they're about to take a huge step toward the Pac-12 North title. What an awful day at Husky Stadium for the local folks. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is the voice of the voice of the dogs after 
The Washington Huskies blew what was a two-touchdown lead in the second half, a 10-point lead even later, only to fall to the hated Oregon Ducks. And here's uh, Tony Castricone. Tony, I I know you haven't been here a long time, but this one's got to sting more than anyone you've called since you arrived in Seattle. No question. I mean, it's a painful loss. It's painful for everybody involved. Um, it's, it's obviously one of the great rivalries on the West Coast, and I think it's climbing the ranks of the West Coast rivalries. If you look at some of the historic ones like USC, UCLA, I mean, I, there's no question that Washington, Oregon is now – uh, superseded that one. Um, you know, Cal Stanford, I think Washington and Oregon has superseded that one. I mean, this has a ton at stake. Uh, this is an old rivalry, as old as any of those. And um, it was a game, I mean, now two years in a row, a game where Washington arguably can feel like there were things that they did in the game plan that they wanted to do in order to try to win the game. There were there were uh, plays that they made that you felt like if they could make those type of plays, they're going to win the game. And then still for the, for the second year in a row, late in the game, Oregon is able to come back and, and snatch away a victory. And uh, it's especially painful last year in Austin, but then even more so to have it happen in Husky stadium. And, and I mean, look, you know, um, Chris Peterson's not going to make any excuses. The coaching staff, the players aren't going to make any excuses. Um, I'm happy to say uh, that this team could really use its bye week. Um, it, it is the only team in the Pac-12 and one of two teams in all of Power Five college football that was playing its eighth straight week last week. It was a team that. Uh, had a lot of injury problems to deal with, didn't have your, your leading receiver, didn't have two of your top three running backs, didn't have depth at inside linebacker due to some injuries. You're coming off two road games where you get back at six in the morning, and then you got uh, Oregon coming in with an extra day of rest, and it, I, I thought it was an elite-level college football game. No turnovers in the game. There was only one sack in the entire game. It was made by Oregon on that critical final drive by the Huskies. I thought both quarterbacks showcase why they're going to be top NFL draft picks. Herbert, four touchdowns, no picks. Ethan, three touchdowns, no picks. Uh, the, the difference in the game is a small detail here or there, uh, a third down here or there. Husky settling for one more field goal. Um, I mean, it, it was it was an evenly matched, elite college football game that unfortunately – uh, Oregon was the one that ended up winning it. How do you explain, or don't you even try uh, to explain what happened on Saturday from the standpoint that all the things that the Huskies had done so well for just about three quarters, stopping the Oregon run, making uh, making the Ducks feel third and long all the time, running the football at Oregon's great defense that was coming in stati- statistically as one of the great defenses in college football. The, the Huskies up front handled them. And then all of a sudden, something happened. Maybe it's the rest. Maybe it's the fatigue. I don't know. All of a sudden, the Huskies couldn't convert a third down when they had the ball and the lead. All of a sudden, Oregon started running the ball. All of a sudden, the things that they were doing so well for three quarters just kind of went away. And you almost feel like that if you you go back, if you could just convert one more of those of those third downs on offense when you have the ball in a 10-point lead or have the ball in a 7-point lead, or if you could just get off the field one time, it, it just feels like 
They were one, almost one play away, either on offense or on defense, from winning that football game. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it comes down to those little details. Um, and look, I mean, this is a Husky team that does return only two starters on defense, and I think where the losses hurt the most are inside linebacker. And I think teams have shown that if they have a big, strong running back, they're going to be capable of, of running the football. And, and Oregon has two really quick guys that they used and had moderate success with, but but in the second half, they brought in their goal line back, Cyrus Habibilikio, and he really gashed the dogs in the second half. I think he had something in the ballpark of 10 carries for 80 yards. But Washington struggled to stop him, and it was similar to Christopher Brown from Cal, Cameron Scarlett from, from Stanford. And so, and so the, the Huskies have struggled to stop the run this year. It might be a team that just does struggle to stop the run. It doesn't mean it can't win a whole lot of games, but it's not a strength of this Husky defense. So I think they were able to convert some critical plays on some drives. And, and then another thing, there's been a lot of talk about this offense. Uh, people have called it incompetent. People have said the play calling's bad. I don't agree with any of that. I think this Husky offense does move the ball. I think it's one weakness. It's one weakness, Mitch, has been on third down. Yeah, They have struggled on third down. And you look at the last three games, Uh, at Stanford, at Arizona, and and now home against Oregon, and they're 8 for 38 on third down. That's under 25%. And I think that um, they're they're starting to find their rhythm. I thought they were a little bit better at coming up with some clutch plays. I think one of the most clutch plays of of the season had the potential to be uh, you're backed up on third and 23 final drive, and you hit a freshman for his first career catch, Marcus Spiker, for 20 yards to set up fourth and three. I think they've shown some progress in some of these areas, but um, you know, I, I just think that there there were a few third downs yeah. that you just wish you had back, and one of them comes in the fourth quarter, where I, I I think that this Wildcat formation has been really good to the Huskies, uh-huh. but it's one of those formations and it's one of those plays that is really dependent upon having the right personnel. And I think that second three and out in the fourth quarter where they ran the Wildcat with Kamari Pleasant as your quarterback, he's really your fourth string running back. And, and it's just not the same personnel it is with Miles Gaskin running it, with, with freshman Richard Newton, who had so much success earlier this year running it, but who is now injured. I think it's just one of those plays that you just wish you had back because yeah. Yeah. I think Washington's defense really played really well in this game in certain areas. They forced – three consecutive three and outs in the first half to get that early lead. They held on to the lead for majority of the game, but in the fourth quarter, when your offense goes three and out back to back times and and your defense is on the field a lot and they've got a big offensive line like they do, maybe the best in the nation, your defense can wear down in the fourth quarter of one of these games, and I think that's what happened on that final drive for Oregon that allowed them to get the win. I don't know that there's a Husky fan anywhere in the Pacific Northwest in the 48 to 72 hours after that game that ever wants to see the Wildcat again. I know that you're going to point to some success that they've had in the past and, and its personnel, but boy, Husky fans are really, really smoking mad about that Wildcat formation. And to go back to your third down issue, I, I completely agree. You've got to do better on third down. But it doesn't help in the Oregon game when Jacob Eason's favorite wide receiver, his best wide receiver, his security blanket, the guy he looks to more, is really on the sidelines for the for the better part of the game. Uh, Tony, 
uh, pass interference on the final offensive play or a no call? I think yeah, I think it's a coin flip. And I, I, just to go back to what you're saying about the Wildcat, look, that play has been successful. I think there's no question. Miles Gaskin ran it really, really well. Uh, Richard Newton ran it really well so far this year. I think I think that you're just a handicapped team, just running it with with personnel that you'd rather probably not run it with if if you if you had your choice. But you know you, you don't have Savan Ahmed. I'm uh, sorry, you don't have Sean McGrew. You don't have Richard Newton, and that makes that play a little bit harder to execute. Then why uh, run it? So then, then so, why run it? Why keep running I, it? I don't know. I mean, maybe you see something that you like. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought Bush Hamden called a really good game, all things considered. I, I thought they kept Oregon on their heels. They showed formations they haven't shown all year. They were really multiple in their running attack and passing game. They took some shots. A lot of them worked. I just think that that was, that was a tough play on, on that play and um, probably one that the coaching staff wishes they had back. But to move forward – uh, to to what you were saying, what was your what was your question? Uh, I was just I was just making the point that I think Husky fans are are done with the Wildcat, and I I did ask you about the final no, offensive fu- play, yeah, the yeah. final offensive play. Feet get tangled, maybe a little shove. Yeah, uh, you you yeah, want yeah. you want that call, but a lot of Husky fans will say, "Let's not cry about that call." The the game was lost in the uh, in the eight or ten or twelve minutes before that call. I think quarterbacks have the opportunity to make their legacy with great fourth quarter drives. And I think Justin Herbert did his part with that late touchdown drive for Oregon, but then Jacob Eason had an opportunity and, and you're set up for fourth and three. I don't think the game was lost before that play. Like they had every opportunity to get the first down, put together a touchdown drive and, and win the game. I think it's a coin flip call on the pass interference. I think that some crews will throw the flag. Others will, will swallow the whistle. And I think unquestionably that there was contact. I think that contact made a difference, but I don't think it was with the hands. And so that's where, you know, you're, you're certainly going to see that flag fly if the contact is with the hands. There's a bit of a hip check. Feet got tangled a little bit. And sometimes they'll say, hey, there's not a lot that the the cornerback could do on that play, or maybe it was initiated by the wide receiver, not running the route right or whatever. And so you don't want to put it in the, in the hands of the officials to make the call that you need to win the game. So it's a tough play. It's a tough way to lose, but um, here's what I want to say. I think that you get this bye week now, and then you get ready for an enormous game against Utah, who, again, uh, is really chomping at the bit to beat the Huskies because they have had, bitter defeat after bitter defeat to UW over the last three or four years. And so Utah is going to come in and you can't feel sorry for yourself because you're not going to win the North division. What you got to do is win this game against Utah. You got to, you want to win the apple cup and you want to go nine and three and go to a good bowl game, holiday bowl against a, a ranked team like Iowa or something like that. And that's all within this team's capability. This senior class still has a chance to become the winningest senior class in Husky football history. And so Fans can be sour about it if they want, but I think this team is going to be motivated. They're going to get back to work. Hopefully they're going to get healthy. I don't think Sean McGrew or Richard Newton or Aaron Fuller are out for the season. And I think they're going to come back with a vengeance on November 2nd for an enormous game against Utah that will certainly 
um, continue to steer this season in one direction or another. I, th- I think it's a tough sell, Tony, and I know that you're the, the voice of the dogs, and I listened a lot to the game on Saturday, uh, watched a little, listened a lot. You do a fabulous job. I think it's a tough sell because I think, frankly, dog fans would say, hey, with what we thought was coming in, if you had offered us a three-loss season and an Alamo or Holiday Bowl before the season started, we would not have taken that, and we would have we would have uh, termed that or deemed that something less than desirable. So I think, yeah, a, a win over Utah, who's playing probably even maybe better than Oregon. I think the the Utah loss to USC was a total fluke. I think uh, Utah is looking at, you know, winning out and maybe even getting into the Final Four conversation if they can win the Pac-12. I, I, I think winning that game and, and springboarding you to a, a great Final Four or five games of the season is great, but Husky fans are having a, a difficult time buying three a three-loss season, Tony. Well, I mean, look, that's their right if they want to look at it that way. But what are you going to do? Cry over spilled milk? I mean, I don't, I don't understand that idea. I don't understand that mentality. I think that um, if you had expectations that this team was going to try to make the playoff, uh, maybe you uh, weren't properly considering the fact that you're losing the team's all-time leading passer, you're losing the team's all-time leading rusher, and you're returning two starters on defense. I'm not making excuses. I'm like, this team wants to go undefeated. But you and I talked before the season, Mitch. Yeah. You asked me how this team was going to be, and yeah. I said they could be 7-5 and five or they could be 12-0. and 0. I don't know. It's probably going to come down to a couple plays in the fourth quarter, yeah. and I think that's what's happened so far. I mean, you had the, the field goal against Cal to take the lead with two minutes left, and then you give up the 30-yard pass play. You, you had the lead in the fourth quarter against Oregon – a team that's in the playoff picture, that's not an insignificant win that they had the chance to get. And, and, and look, it, it didn't happen. And as frustrated as dog fans are, nobody is more frustrated than people in the football office, starting at the top of Chris Peterson, starting with his players that, that play and practice their heart out. And, I mean, if you want to be the kind of fan that wants to throw the towel on the season, that's your right. But what this team needs is the support of Husky Nation to go out there and continue laying the building blocks for a team that's eventually going to win the national championship. Because one of the qualifiers to win a national championship is you got to have elite talent. And one of the statistical data things is like nobody over the last 10 years has won a national championship without at least half of their roster having four and five star players. Well, the Huskies this year just now cleared that bar. They just now have half of their roster constituted of four- and five-star players. But a lot of those players are really young, Mitch, and, and, and they need that experience of growing, and, and, and they need to make their mistakes. And they are really good players out there like Asa Turner, who had the late hit that prolonged the Oregon opening uh, drive yeah. that, that turned it into a yeah. touchdown. Yeah. There's Cam Williams, who's been burned on a few plays. These guys are going to be NFL players. They're really darn good. But, it, you know, you, you got to support them through thick and thin. And, and I think right now it's frustrating because people did have high expectations and you want to have high expectations, but this season is not over. And I think there are a lot of big football games still to be played. You want to beat Utah. You want to win at Colorado. You want to win the Apple Cup. And you want to win a bowl game against a nationally ranked team out of the Big Ten and the Big 12 or something like that. And that's all still in front of the Huskies. And, and it might not be expectations met this season, but – the next five years look really bright the way this staff has recruited, 
the way that they've put things together. And I think you need to stick through them with uh, stick through it with uh, through thick and thin. Very well said by Tony Castricone, the voice of the dogs. You hear him. Uh, call Washington football, call Washington basketball, and he's good enough to be with us from time to time on Mitch Unfiltered. Uh, I, m- I meant what I said. Uh, I really enjoy I really enjoy your work. I think you do a great job, very descriptive. I can close my eyes and see what's going on when I listen to Tony Castricone call the dogs. I think this was a, a great decision by the dogs to bring in here, and, and I hope that uh, things turn around a little bit. We'll be waiting on the Utah Utes, and uh, who knows? Put a win together in that game, and it could be off to bigger and better things the rest of the season. Tony Castricone, thanks for joining us on Mitch Unfiltered. Appreciate it very, very much. Hey, thanks for the kind words, Mitch, and uh, thanks for covering the dogs and uh, you know, continued success with your podcast. It sounds great. There's the voice of the Huskies, Tony Castricone, on the heartbreaking, crushing loss to Oregon over the weekend can the huskies now rebound with their three losses and put something together towards the mid and end of the season to get to a decent sized bowl game we'll have to wait and see i'm craving a chopped salad and two or three slices of a chicken club pizza at zeke's pizza chicken bacon spinach tomato red onion delicious zeke's is the northwest homegrown pizza company founded in queen anna 1993 celebrating the adventurous spirit and natural affinity for craftsmanship that makes the northwest great what is northwest style pizza Dough with a sourdough bite, toppings full throttle on flavor, creative and different without ever losing respect for the classics. The attention to detail is noticeable. Zeke's dough is made every morning in its kitchen on Finney Ridge and then delivered fresh daily to each of their 17 Puget Sound locations. Every pizza is hand-tossed when you order it. If you want to watch the Huskies or Seahawks game with some fabulous pizza and a craft beer or two, easy call. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown grown in the northwest unfiltered fourth down and one now mahomes and that makes him nine for ten in that category well that's what that's what i was talking about he's at the bottom of that pile and there's just a lot of bodies a lot of people falling on top of you and you know i can tell you a lot happens at the bottom of that One of the most dynamic athletes in all of sports is injured on this fourth and one carry, and it was the right knee. Well, weekend number seven has come and gone in the National Football League, and it started with quite the scare on Thursday night. Joining us, our old buddy Todd Lebo, WHB in Kansas City. He's been there since the beginning. And Todd joins us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Who was freaking out more, Todd? The Chiefs fans or fantasy football leaguers that had Patrick Mahomes on their on their squad? Well, probably the Chiefs fans because they all have Patrick Mahomes on their squad too. Yeah, that was a scary deal uh, on Thursday. You know, quarterback sneaks don't generally cause injury because there's not much happening there. Kind of a freak deal where, where Patrick's knee dislocated at the, at the bottom of the pile. And then, of course, everyone is a doctor on the Internet at that point. Oh, it's clearly this. He's going to have this sort of a tear with this, and everyone's got to weigh in. But when I had this happen, I was down for this. And, and you know, you just really have to wait. And we're not in a wait uh, sort of society anymore. People want to know right away. So they still, you know, were, were a little bit ambiguous on Friday when they said that, you know, the MRI results are in. The Chiefs hadn't really given a lot of information. They're not real big with giving information out until it's, all done 
But everyone, you know, I, listen, he's a young guy who really wants to play. And all the news has been good news so far for Patrick Mahomes with this MRI with the Chiefs because it's, it doesn't look like it's going to be long-term scare, like, you know, out for the year, like a lot of people thought when it first happened on Thursday night. It's looking on the much shorter end, and these are important games for the Chiefs, and Mahomes really wants to get back. So, uh, you know, your guess is as good as mine on what it is, but I'm guessing shorter rather than longer for Mahomes because uh, he, I mean, he's a super important part of this team, obviously. Yeah, Todd Lebo, WHB in Kansas City. We woke up on Sunday with the with the Schefter and all the different reports out of the NFL so-called experts saying that he could be back sooner rather than later, maybe on the, on the underside of three weeks. But people should remember, and you can talk more about this, that before he got hurt on the quarterback sneak, and I want to come back to that play in a minute, we had Jason Locke and Foron and some others on our podcast saying that Patrick Mahomes' ankle wasn't right that he was playing yeah. on a gimpy ankle and, and he may have needed some time to get that thing healed. So he may be dealing with more than just a knee injury and the Chiefs want to, yeah, they want him back sooner, like you say, but they also want to play it safe. This is a this is a long-term situation in terms of this year, right? For sure. It's a franchise quarterback. And and so very first week of the, of the year at Jacksonville, he got kind of rolled up in the pile on his left ankle. Then – their home game against the Colts a few weeks later, he got stepped on by his own player on his ankle. Then the game against the Texans, he got, uh, you know, hit. Uh, it was not a sack. It was a, you know, a quarterback hit and got the ankle rolled up on. So, you know how it is like uh, when, you know, like you cut your finger and you're like, that's not a big deal. And then every time you move your hand, yeah. you put your hand in your pocket and it cuts, yeah. the, it hits the bat and then you, and you move to pick something up and it hits that. It, it's for me, Patrick Mahomes' left ankle has been like that. If he's going to run into something or someone's going to run into him, it's going to be the left ankle. So he's pretty tender there. Now, when you see him at the facility and stuff, he's not walking around with it taped up or any sort of you know, boot, but he just doesn't look quite right moving. So that's been the concern for him because he's been a real mobile quarterback out of the pocket and throwing on the run, and that, that part's kind of been gone for a little bit. He's still been very good this year, but not quite as dynamic as last year. So when the play happened on the sneak, it's the right knee. So it's, he's got something in both legs now. Yeah. Now, if you want to be, uh, you know, someone who thinks everything happens for a reason, it's all going to be good. Maybe this will give his left ankle a chance to heal while his right knee is, is getting healed. And maybe he'll come back and he'll all be good. But, uh, you know, you, you talk to a lot of people have had their, uh, you know, knee dislocated and then just regular folks and, and athletes and, and whatever. You're going to have a little something in your head any time with that knee, I think that, it, you know, cause this was not some big hit on the knee. This just happens. I mean, people can walk around and have their knee pop out of place. So, you know, how, how do you make that strong? Will he come back and have a brace on that right knee, which I'm assuming he probably will when he plays, is that going to affect him? What's the mental side of not knowing whether or not your knee is hundred percent stable right in the middle of a national football league game. There, there's a lot going on with him. And that was the fear for everyone. He had such a great, uh, you know, not rookie campaign, but first year starting campaign last year with an MVP and 50 touchdowns and all that. And, uh, you know, it, your, your fear is a Chiefs fan. We've talked about this for years, Mitch. You know, they went forever without winning a playoff game. Then they finally won a couple of playoff games. Then they had the AFC title game at home and they didn't get it done despite having the MVP, right? You know, you have all those things going on. Right. And then 
you've got this player and he gets a couple of injuries and now you start worrying about what it's going to be yeah. for his, his yeah. future. But yeah. it, it's a tough thing for those fans to deal with. But listen, that's football, man. Who runs around and doesn't ever get hurt? It just right. doesn't happen. Yeah. I'm going to one-up your cut finger analogy. When, you, when you're chewing food and you cut and you, and you, and you chew on your lip by bite mistake, your lip, when yeah, you bite yeah. your lip and it gets a little swollen, you just end up biting it like three or four more times before it ever heals. That, that, seems, exactly. to be, that seems to be his ankle. Now, they're five and two. They lost two games at home. They had some other close calls with some teams that you wouldn't have expected like Detroit and so forth. Can they win with Matt Moore, Todd? They've got the Packers and Vikings, and then they're at the Titans. The Packers and Vikings games are at home, but again, they've lost a couple of games at home. This is a this is a tough, a, a little bit of a tough stretch for them. These three games. Let's assume he doesn't play those three games, and Matt Moore plays those three. How do they do in those three? Well, that'll be difficult. You know, I think Matt Moore was okay against Denver. Now Denver is uh, awful. Okay, and that's kind of you jump off the bench. It's the emotion of it. You jump right in there. You're going to think about starting for 10 days now? I mean, Matt Moore's never been a great player. Right? He's just been a guy in the league. He's made a wonderful career of having 12 years in the National Football League and making millions of dollars, right? But seriously, six weeks ago or eight weeks ago, he was assistant coach for his local high school football team. He did not play in the National Football League last year at all. So 32 teams said, we don't want you on our team, Matt Moore. The Chiefs say when they when they signed Chad Henney last year in the offseason, that Matt Moore was their number two. They brought them both in. They ended up going with Henney. So do I think Matt Moore is going to be enough to win games? Probably not against the Packers. You know, the Vikings are so hit and miss. Mm, maybe. I mean, the Titans have their own issues. If the Chiefs' defense can get nine sacks in a game like they did against Joe Flacco, then, yeah, they can win. But that has been few and far between. The Chiefs' defense has been – really bad this year and they had a special night against the Broncos but like I said they're no good Flacco uh, is a stationary target I can't believe Elway thought that's the guy to build the franchise back around when, when they signed Joe Flacco so it, I think Matt Moore's success will probably have as much to do with the Chiefs defense as it will him yeah I think there was a, a, a photo making the rounds on Thursday night of Matt Moore maybe you saw it at some workout like as a scout standing at somebody's workout like in college somebody working out before the nfl draft that's where he was just it, when, <laughs> when they signed him right before you know because they had a bunch of young guys at, at camp and they were like no one thought they were going to have their young guys be their their, their true backups so and then when chad Henney got hurt uh at the end of training camp they signed matt moore and everyone was like matt moore uh, is he still alive? Is, yeah. is this yeah. still somebody? Yeah. And he came in. He was just like he was literally hanging out on the couch, and he was an assistant coach at his high school yeah. where he's from. And there he was. And now, next thing you know, you're you're on fifteen million people watching you on Thursday night football. Todd, because uh, the MVP goes down. Todd, who's the backup? Well, it, I think what they what they're going to do, and Andy did not. They haven't officially made any move yet. What Andy said on Friday was. They have Kyle Shermer, who is a Vanderbilt quarterback, who's on their practice squad. Okay. What they will likely do is elevate him to the backup. Chad Henney is still on the roster. He has an injury. He's eligible to come off an injury reserve after next week. So this will be a dicey week against the Packers. If they decide they're really going to go with Kyle Shermer as the backup, then, then he's a heartbeat away, right, if Matt Moore happens to get hurt. Now, of course, Patrick Mahomes can just say, I'm Superman, I'm going to go play this week. I don't think that's going to happen. But, yeah, that, that's what they're going to do. I don't think they're going to sign a, a veteran player because they feel well they'll get through this week. And if Patrick's not healthy, then Chad Henney can come off IR. They can put Kyle Shermer back on the practice squad. 
and they can have <laughs> Matt Moore and, and Chad Henney as their quarterbacks, which doesn't sound like a recipe to go to the Super Bowl, but they'll hopefully have Mahomes back uh, sooner than later. Anybody griping at Andy Reid and the coaching staff over the call of the, of the quarterback sneak, and is that going to be officially now the last quarterback sneak that Patrick Mahomes will ever run in Kansas City for the next 10 or 15 years? Yeah, you know, some people were, but listen, Andy was asked about it on Friday. He's like, I don't know, I mean, you know nobody gets hurt in sneaks. Tom Brady runs how many sneaks a year? Yeah. I mean, he, he runs three a week sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And they're effective. If you're good, this was a total freak accident. Uh, now, I don't, they have not run many sneaks with Mahomes. I, I've kind of thought they should run more, but, but they don't. And uh, so they probably won't, but not probably because they're too scared that he's going to get hurt. But yeah, it was, uh, that was a weird one because there wasn't any real contact. You know, you just got down that pile and. Yeah. You know, when it's time to get hurt, it's going to happen. I, sometimes you see these guys, I mean, just get crushed on a play, and their knee twists funny, and they just jump up and they, they, they walk off and they do whatever. And then sometimes you, you just fall, what is that, like maybe 18 inches to the ground yep. with your knee, and it pops out of play. Yeah, It's weird. Last question for Todd Lebo on the Zeke's Pizza hotline. Uh, we talked about him. They're 5-2 and two through 7. They're not going to have him for a few weeks. They've been good, I would say, at times great, but good. Uh, I don't know where they are in the pecking order. The, the the AFC, certainly New England is out in front, and Houston's already beaten them. Uh, we've got a trading deadline coming up. I've heard people write and talk about how the Chiefs receivers had a little trouble with man-to-man coverage for a few weeks, but that might be better now that Tyreek Hill's back. What what about the Chiefs' activity during the during this next uh few days and, and week before the uh, the trading deadline. Do you like them to, to be active, or are they not the type of organization that will do anything to try to improve what they already have? Well, all the fans wanted them to, to go trade for Jalen Ramsey, but that, of course, didn't happen. Uh, you know, they, they need defensive help as much as anything. I think offensively, Sammy Watkins has just been nursing with a, with a hamstring and groin-type injury. He'll be back. Uh, Tyreek Hill certainly makes a difference. They, they have enough wide receivers for sure. Uh, that's not a real problem for them. They they just need to, you know, it's kind of funny. It's just kind of what you're used to, right? You complain about their th- them not looking very good because they just didn't look like they looked last year. But their offensive numbers are still very good, right? Uh, Zaynab scoring 30 yeah. last week or on Thursday night. Now, one of those was a defensive touchdown, and they scored 30 up at Detroit. The real bad game they had offensively was the game against the Colts. And the Colts just did that basically with their offense. They kept the ball for so long. The Chiefs did not have the ball for very long. You know, the, the Texans the next week in that victory by the Texans had the ball for 20 minutes more than the Chiefs, and they had to hold on at the end to win the game, right? So their offense is fine. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't think there will be any sort of movement there in any real way. The defense, if there's someone out there who will help them, maybe they can, they can get something done there. The Chiefs in the AFC, I mean, they own the West. That's, that's the thing they do very well. They beat the teams in the West. Okay, that's job one is win your division. But if you lose a couple of these teams at home, home like they did, and if you lose to the Panthers or maybe the Vikings or someone like that, next thing you know you're going to Foxborough in the playoffs. Yeah. And that has yeah. not been a recipe yeah. for anyone. Yeah. They had the recipe last year at home. They had the home game. They had the ball in their hands, and the, the game was going to be over with kneel downs, but D Ford lined up offside. Was that going to be their best chance ever? I don't know. This is not feeling like they're going to have that same kind of opportunity this year because I don't think the Patriots are going to give up their because their schedule's easy, right? I mean, the Patriots, the, the East is just so bad. Yeah, they're going to I think the Patriots, 
yep. they're going to probably be the one seed, and yep. then you're hoping for them to lose somewhere along the line to, try, to not have to go to Foxborough right. in the end. Right. I think you're going to Foxborough regardless of how you do against the Packers. And the, hey, hey, look, they could have had Marcus Peters back. He was available. They could have had him back, Todd. <laughs> yeah, they they, uh, they they didn't need any Marcus Peters in their lives. You know about Marcus Peters. <laughs> yeah, he, didn't. he had his trouble in Seattle, and he had his trouble here. And uh, He's a great talent, but he's got something in his personality that's just not going to make him be a yeah, guy who's going to yeah. stay somewhere for very long. The terrific Todd Lebo in Kansas City on uh, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Todd, great to have you back. Thanks for doing uh, Mitch Unfiltered again. I hope to talk to you soon. Anytime, Mitch. So there's Todd Lebo in Kansas City with one of the knee injuries this week heard around the world. We've got Zion Williamson in New Orleans missing the start of the NBA season. And, of course, Patrick Mahomes. Will he miss three, four, five, six, seven weeks in Kansas City? Will fantasy football league owners freak out and not be able to keep their heads above water as they wait for their star quarterback to come back? Hotshot and I have a lot more fun stuff here in a moment. I say this all the time because I believe it. Daniel's Broiler is a special restaurant. One of the things I think that makes Daniel's special is their belief in world-class hospitality. Of course, you expect excellent steaks and seafood at Daniel's and the world-class views. But if Daniel's doesn't make you feel special, what's the point? We live in a time when hospitality is becoming a lost art in restaurants, and that's a shame. When you go to Daniel's Broiler, your needs come first, and that starts with world-class hospitality. Daniel's goal is to make every guest feel like they're part of the Daniel's family, and I'm not just talking about being polite. It's much more than that. World-class hospitality is making every guest feel warm, welcome, and important. And as you know from the real world, that doesn't happen by accident. How you're treated is just as important to Daniel's as the excellence of of their food locally owned by the schwartz family with locations at south lake union leshine marina bellevue place and the new one at the downtown hyatt regency serving breakfast lunch and dinner seven days a week daniel's broiler world-class steakhouses unfiltered Four good interviews. Rick Neuheisel. I'm doing this based on memory. Rick Neuheisel, Tony Castricone, the voice of the Huskies. We had, of course, Brady Henderson brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. And we had Todd Lebo on the Chiefs fans with their toes on the edge. Toes on the ledge. It kind of reminds me of when I learned how to swim. Who taught you how to swim? Did you ever learn how to swim? Did you take take swimming lessons or what? You remember? Those cost money. So the answer to that was no. No. Uh, So I learned to swim in Lake Sammamish. There was a dock about 20 feet out where all the cool kids would hang. Yeah. And if my mom said, if I could make it there, then, you know, if I could learn how to swim, then I could go right. out to the dock. So I just taught myself. I just got in the boat. I mean, we went to like Sammamish every day. So if day you and I summer. went out and had a race. Yeah. If we raced like two laps, uh, freestyle, stri- oh, freestyle free- mm. who would win? You or me? Well, you swim all the time, so you might be good now. <laughs> good now you have like a built-in like fin a, too that helps I'm you from with the- florida for god's sake I, I was built for the water all right see, <laughs> seattle's surrounded by water on all three sides all right i'm not landlocked here i whenever i say my toes their toes are on the edge kansas city chiefs are toes are on the edge of the ledge i it's some of the it's funny what we remember from our youth yeah my father i remember my father may he rest in peace which would, would be in the pool when i was a little kid and i was learning how to dive in the pool and it was very important to him the thing the things that i remember that were yeah, important yeah. to him 
Very important to him. He made he told me if he told me once, he told me a thousand times. Before you dive in, your toes have to be over the edge of the pavement. Oh, gotcha. Okay. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, over the side of the, the over pool. the side. Yeah. Your toes over the edge. Hey, ho, ho, ho. Are your toes over the edge? <laughs> Wait, what if they weren't? What was his his math on I, that? Damn it, Mitchell! I told you they <laughs> okay, gotta be t- fine. <laughs> I'll take your word for it, Bob. Sorry about that. <laughs> Jesus, I'm done asking. Uh, you go first. You got any? Got any? I got a lot of stuff. I got a lot of little oh, stuff. Oh man, Zion! I got a lot of little. The stuff. Zion weight continues. Oh god, Zion! It took it right off my list. Oh, did I? I mean, I, who's not dying to see him play? Like in a, in a meaningful game. What a game. bummer! I mean, I, I don't know whether people in this audience care about the NBA. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are listening to this podcast that say, no, 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 no. S- since they took the Sonics away from since yeah. the Sonics left, I refuse to watch the NBA. And those are the guys that are watching the NBA on TNT every Tuesday night. Okay, so I don't know who, who's being legit and who's not. Here's what I know. I couldn't wait. He was... Besides LeBron, outside of LeBron James in the last probably 15 or 20 years, the mo- for me, the most highly anti- – I just wanted to see him yep. play an NBA game. And I'm sure it would have been like I would have watched him in the opener and then maybe watched him in the second game and be like, oh, my God, I'm watching – I want to just see what, yeah. he, what he does, whether it translates. And then I probably oh, would have – I probably would have lost interest after the second game and then he would have played – See him on SportsCenter. Or whatever, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was so freaking oh. fired up. What a bummer that is that he's not going to play. Here's what's more – here to me was what more interesting, and I want to do this on 62P. Okay. You know we do patron shows. Oh, you do? Yeah, we oh, do okay. shows, That's but a... we don't talk about him. All right. Uh, what I want to do on 62P is talk to somebody about him in New Orleans because there's there's this little kind of underlying whisper oh, no. that this is going to be a problem for him his entire career because he carries so much weight above his waist that he's kind of Barkley-esque in that matter. He's stronger. It's not like a flabby stuff. Yeah, there's no flab. He's but, all muscle. But those knees, that, think about the way he plays. It's a lot of torque. Think, think about yeah. the way he plays. Think about the the waist up, the amount of weight above those knees. That And there's some other people that have said, I'm trying to remember who it was, some pretty, uh, was it Paul Pierce? I think even Mike Krzyzewski may have said it, hmm. which is kind of surprising, that he needs to lose weight. That he's maybe a little bit overweight, and that's going to be—it's going to take a toll on his knee. And he looks like a guy. I mean, we all knew guys when they were young that looked that way. I don't know if you thought of it when you were young. You had a buddy that looked that way. Yeah. What you would say to yourself was, "In 20 years, that guy's going to be 30, 40 pounds overweight." Did you think that about people? Oh, like yeah, I yeah. thought that about people that were not overweight but strong looking, but you could look at them and say he's going to be overweight when he when when his metabolism slows down. I thought it about Barkley. I thought the only reason he's not fat is because he plays Wasn't basketball. He well, but he was not like fat. he is now. Obviously, no. <laughs> I mean, I knew the minute he quit playing basketball, the minute yeah. he retired, he was yeah. going to swell. Yeah. The only reason he wasn't is because he's yeah. burning so many calories every yeah. day. Yeah. But the, the Zion thing is so interesting. I I think it translates NBA. You have to be an NBA fan. You got to see this guy. To me, he was as big a lock for the Hall of Fame coming out of college that I've seen since Shaquille O'Neal. Like, I can't think of anyone else. The package that this guy had, yeah. the leaping ability, yeah. the, oh. the ball skills, yeah. Yeah. the muscle. Yeah. And you just wondered whether when he goes up against grown men, whether he's going to be able to go in night after night. My, and I think I said this to you. My, my intrigue about him was, you know, he goes from college to pro where no – no big man, no big professional real man is going to want to get schooled by the young guy. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like 82 games. Who on a Tuesday night oh, in no. like 
December or January <laughs> right. wants to play against a guy that's got that much energy. Right. That, I mean, Nineteen-year-old legs like and on energy. Wednesday, you've just played a game like in Charlotte. You just you took an overnight flight to New Orleans. Now you're playing a back-to-back, and you got to guard that guy. And you're like, you know what? I'm just not. I'm not no. guarding him tonight. Yeah. I'm just not. I'm not going through that. I don't need that. I'm going to make my twelve million this year. I don't need to guard him tonight. I, I'm just wondering how. Yeah. how those two things are going to fight one another. Because you also don't want to be embarrassed by the young guy. That's right. Guy, you don't want to get dunked on. But you still don't really want to play that. These right. guys don't want to play that way every night. That's t- It's like the All-Star game. Do you want to play a guy in the All-Star game who's good, who's really playing defense? You don't play no. those guys. No no, 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 no. I was thinking about knee injuries. I, I was trying to think, how many guys get hurt, you know, hurt their knee, and then they're never the same? Because it feels like, like you know, medicine's come a long way. You don't really see it anymore. I was yeah. thinking to myself, yeah. and then I was looking around like, uh, what about Derrick Rose? What about Robert Griffin? What about Greg uh, Greg Oden? Brandon Roy? Remember oh, his yeah. knee problem? Oh, yeah. Penny Hardaway. Oh, yeah. So now I've just talked myself out ones. of it. It yeah. does happen oh, where yeah. guys get hurt and oh, yeah. they're just not And you're wondering the same. if this is going to be one of those things? I'm wondering. I don't know. I hope not. But most of those were really serious knee injuries at first, right? And then there was like deterioration. There was like... Um, uh, scar tissue. This doesn't sound like there's any knee surgery or anything like this. This sounds like just a couple of weeks, but it, he could be a guy who is destined for knee problems. All right. I'm going to do my athlete of the week. Do it. You got a tissue? You want a tissue? Yes, please. Do you know who my athlete of the week is? I don't. Is it me for my, my, my swimming? Let me see if I can get you on this. Okay. With 13 minutes to go in the fourth quarter of a college football game between Minnesota and Rutgers. The Golden Gophers scored a touchdown to make it 27 to nothing with a few minutes to go in the game. 27 to nothing. The extra point, literally nobody in the country watched. Why would you ever watch a 27 to nothing extra yeah. point? Why would anybody, nobody in the stands watched, nobody on TV watched, nobody, nobody was watching the extra point to make it 28 to nothing. And yet, I'll contend it was the most important moment in college football this past weekend the guy who was holding for the extra point was a guy named Casey O'Brien it was not only the first extra point that he had held for this season for the place kicker but it was the first play that he had gone into a game this season and in his career at Minnesota Casey O'Brien is a four-time cancer Survivor Diagnosed with a rare bone cancer his freshman year in high school. 14 surgeries later. So many rounds hotshot of chemotherapy that he couldn't even tell you how many rounds of chemotherapy he had. Yet there he was in the game holding the football laces out. He said after the game, it means the world to me. There's been so many ups and downs, nights in the hospital, surgeries and everything like that. That's gone into this moment. It's what I dreamed about, and tonight it came through. The next time somebody tells you that it's easier to be a fan of the ballet than to be an athlete, to be a fan of sports, you tell them to just watch. I don't know if you've seen it. The embrace between O'Brien and his head coach when he came off the field after holding an extra point. Yeah. He came. Do you see the embrace? Just Do you an see extra, the hug. Yeah. The coach was a mess. Yeah. It was unbelievable. It was great. Yeah. After the point that meant nothing except that it meant everything. My athlete of the week, 
Casey O'Brien, number 14 of the Minnesota Golden Gophers. It's a great choice. Now, how are you going to follow that? Yeah, I you know, got some, what, what you got do I do now? to follow that up? Uh, Aaron Rodgers, he uh, <laughs> fixed, a, he cured HIV. You didn't hear that story? <laughs> Actually, I was going to talk about well, Aaron Rodgers. Got and noticed. you know what they're going to tweet about? They're going to say, what took you so long, you son of a bitch? You weren't focusing on football, clearly. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers joined a pretty exclusive club. I don't know if you saw, he threw four touchdowns. On, on Sunday, Sunday yeah. <laughs> 350 for his career, putting him in a pretty elite group. Yeah, they were playing the Oakland Raiders on Sunday. I saw a little of that game. Yeah, Oakland looks good, huh? Boy, well, yeah, Oakland's been very good up until then. I mean, they were pretty good. They're, they were fighting with Kansas City. They're only, I think they're 3-3, three and three, but go ahead. Only nine quarterbacks have thrown 350 yards, and I think your buddy might be on the list. Only nine I'm quarterbacks. I'm 350 TDs. 350 TDs. A little bit different, yeah. So only he's the nine. Ninth, he's the ninth guy to do it? Yep. Do you have the list? Six, seven, eight. He's the ninth. Yes, I do. You know who's number one? Who's thrown the most TD passes of all time? Well, That's I easy. know that. The, I know that. I, I could say that uh, Peyton Manning Peyton is Manning's in there. Brayton Favre. Uh, Brett Favre is in there. Four. Uh, Tom Brady definitely is Two. in there. Yep. Um, Little short fella, in New Orleans. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. number three. Six feet and a half. Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, and Eli Manning, and another guy named Dan Marino, also Greatest in that, that ever lived. That club. One, two, God. three. He's you, fifth. seriously. Let's stop and talk about this. <laughs> oh, God. Do you realize how good he was? Do you have it's... any idea? Do, do people really understand? <laughs> this is all he has. Everybody, go on. Yeah. <laughs> This is all he has. A guy who was drafted in 83. Go on, though. We'll let you have your moment. You think that I can't wait to get an iPhone because I'm going to, because I want to airdrop everybody. I will never airdrop anything but Dan Marino (laughs) pictures. That's good to know. I think it's easy for people to have a short memory, though, honestly. Like, there's always the new boy in town. Go just go watch his, just go watch his videos. I remember Dan Marino. Everybody remembers him, but you don't remember him until you actually watch him. I watch it every day. Every day? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I right. pray to 13. Yeah. He was so good. He was special, for sure. He had a rocket. God, and what the a fake release. snap. Remember the... the, the oh, yeah, the, Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram was on the receiving... The father of the guy who ran against the Seahawks on Sunday. Former New York Giant Mark yes, Ingram? Mark Ingram. Nice. Yeah. Touchdown to Mark Ingram. Oh, God. Tuper, Clayton. Oh, yeah. Oh, Nat Moore. Oh. Oh, now we're talking, right? Oh. The Killer Bees defense. Oh, what a time. Overrated. What a cost them. They cost them. <laughs> Is that right? All right, I'm up. Mitch Unfiltered Listener. I told you at the beginning, I, I hate, uh, it's like sons, right? You would never, well, you only have one, but I would never, I would never pick one over the other, right? You never favor a kid. I think I could, but it's okay. Go ahead. Right? Yeah. All right. You don't want to favor listeners, do you? Well, especially no. when you have like 40 and a half listeners to the to the podcast but I'm gonna I, I've decided I have something happened this week I've always thought that this guy was Mitch unfiltered listener number one but I just never said anything and then something happened this week that confirmed that I have to say it on the air oh boy is this on the air would this be considered on the air it's are a, we on the air we are not on the air it's not FCC regulated so no we're not I don't have my FCC card you've got to be FCC regulated to be on so what are we we're on the the web yeah have you heard of the internet Uh, it's worldwide it's catching on yeah all right that's why we can say things like shit do you remember a Seattle supersonic by the name of Chris Wilcox a power forward named Chris Wilcox do you remember him I don't I remember a lot of Seattle supersonics it was late in the run here okay he's like 6'9 6'10 I want to even say that he went to Maryland but I may be wrong about that they called him Wheezy we have a listener in our audience named Chris Wilcox. Chris Wilcox has not only listened to every podcast. Now, some people would say, so have I. So have I, Mitch. Why aren't I number one? 
not only is he a you say it because I'm not allowed to say it. I'm already past my. Oh my, yeah, my, uh, he's a patron. Not only he's listening. When I did the first the first party at Daniel's, I think it was at Daniel's. No, maybe it was a Zeke's pizza a Zeke's pizza viewing party. He showed up. This guy Chris Wilcox, not the same guy who played for the Sonics. Okay, but we call him Wheezy anyway because they called Wilcox Wheezy. He showed up in a I kid you not a homemade Mitch unfiltered T-shirt. He made a T-shirt. <laughs> okay. okay. Don't get. Okay. All, right, all, right, all right. Don't be snooty now. All right. I got don't you. Don't look down upon this. The last kid that made a homemade T-shirt, they sold it at the bookstore. That's exactly right. Yeah. And they ended up making a million of those. And things, he got right? a scholarship to that, Tennessee, that's which right. you're prepared to give to this guy no, too. No, I'm not. Okay. Uh, Weezy made a. He made his homemade. He made a homemade T-shirt. Okay. Was, was, was he at the fantasy football? Scott, he was at every <laughs> single event. Okay. And not kind of in a weird creepy way yeah yeah he is just mitch i'm gonna support everything you do he has purchased tickets to every daniel's dinner he has been to every zeke's pizza viewing party sits down hangs out says hello oftentimes wears this t-shirt doesn't fit him all that well <laughs> gotcha all right <laughs> Try to remember whether it's a homemade mitch in the morning t-shirt or it's a homemade mitch unfiltered can't uh -huh. remember anyway has been to every event, listened to everything, and then on top of it, I get this email from him this week. Can I read it to you? Can I read Please. you an email? Yes. Hey, Mitch, it's been fun to celebrate Taco Time Touchdown Tuesday, which we don't get any tacos this coming Tuesday, but I'll still be there because I order ahead and I, I eat it. It's my kind of my, my Tuesday ritual during the football season. It's been fun to celebrate Taco Time Touchdown Tuesday with the Seahawks, you, the listeners, and of course, Taco Time. Maybe we will get to celebrate with Hotshot one day if he ever wishes to patronize Taco Time. After ordering my tacos on the app and on my way to pick them up, I saw an obviously homeless woman huddled on a sidewalk with her belongings in a grocery cart. It was at this point that I decided, you know what, I'm going to give my free tacos to her. I will now continue to donate my tacos to random homeless people. Look at you shaking your head. Oh, that's, that's I, typically, I, I typically wouldn't consider myself a very thoughtful person. <laughs> Hell, I'm kind of a turd. <laughs> My favorite line of Eva. I typically I wouldn't consider myself a very thoughtful person. <laughs> yeah. Hell, I'm kind of a turd. Mm -hmm. But the thought of, quote, receive freely, give freely came to mind at that exact moment. I'm not looking for praise or a pat on the back. I just wanted to provide your listeners another perspective. Our world could use a little more kindness. Why not contribute to that kindness one taco at a time? Signed, Wheezy. What a great guy. I love number it. Number one. Come on. Well, but you got a problem with me naming him the number one Mitch Unfiltered Listener. Did I ever say I don't patronize taco time, by the way? I don't know why you put that part. That's you I don't come on Tuesdays. You've not been to one, two, unless the, unless you have and you haven't told me. If you should see how much money I've spent at taco time <laughs> in my lifetime. But you haven't come on taco time Tuesday. And you're not going to come this week because you're not going to get a free taco. I'm telling you, free or not, I go to taco time every Tuesday. Yeah. And I, I, I even order ahead on the app. If you go to the Redmond one, I can make it out. Why do I have to be there for you, well, you to go to? Uh, why do, do I have to be there? I don't have to buy your tacos. Well, I guess this week I have to buy your tacos. <laughs> yeah, this week you do. Yeah. 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 What do you got over there? Uh, the 49ers. We all love to hate them. But now we have kind of a new reason. I don't know if you saw this. I don't know why this is bothering me. 
The 49ers are the first team in the NFL to have an emotional support dog. Really? Yeah. I don't know this. It's a French bulldog. It's helping players with their mental health. Is, <laughs> is this a football team anymore? Like, I'm turning in to get off my I'm, lawn guy. I can't take it. They're six. They're really good. Well, maybe this you is know, the answer. You understand this. They're really... Why? you telling me we need to get the Seahawks a, an emotional support dog? Maybe. It's Do mo- they have, does the dog have a name? Have you seen a picture of the dog? Austin the Moss, dog. The, uh, the director of player engagement, he adopted one-year-old Zoe after discussing therapy dogs and mental health with members of the team, including Solomon Thomas, yeah. who's been open about his yeah. depression following yeah. the day. All right. Houston versus Washington in the, in the World Series. Houston versus Washington, thanks to the... Did you see the game-winning home run in the bottom of the ninth by Jose Altuve to knock out the Yankees? I, I wish I would have seen it, but I was just busy. Was it Jose, on Saturday? It was on Saturday. Yeah. He knocked out the – after the Yankees had one of the most dramatic home runs in Yankees history by DJ LeMayhew, up came Jose. And everybody in the Pacific Northwest knows Jose Altuve because all he's done yeah. is kill the Seattle Mariners every like, single game for the last, like, eight years. He's like five foot four, right? He's, he's five foot four, <laughs> and it reminded a lot of people who then shared the story that I either didn't remember or didn't know of Jose Altuve getting a shot. Do you know how he got a shot? He showed up as a 16-year-old at an open tryout. He wasn't... He, he went to the Houston Astros at an open tryout somewhere, and he showed up, and they wouldn't let him try out because they said, you're too young. He said, no, 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 I'm 16 years old. And the, he didn't have his birth certificate. They're like, no, you're not. You're not 16. Okay. Go away. And they wouldn't let him try out. He goes home. He gets his birth certificate. He comes back to the second day of the tryout. The guy's like, okay, let's see what you... Yeah. They signed him for a $15,000 signing bonus, and the rest, as Amazing. they say, is history. Jose uh, Altuve. How do you not root for him, even though he's a Mariner killer? How do you not root for him, right? <sighs> Pretty great. All right, Daniels, we're going to that party. Is that is that? Can we I don't know that you're going. Well, I don't know that I'm going either. Yeah, but is it sold out? Can people yeah. still get tickets? No, I was it's supposed totally to remind. Sold out. It's sold out. Wow, it sold out really quickly. We don't have a lot of spots, unfortunately. What we're doing is we're taking the Rick House Whiskey Bar at the brand new Daniels, which is downtown in that Hyatt Regency, and we're closing the bar, closing the bar completely on November the 11th for the San Francisco Seattle game, and. The at first we thought we'd have sixty uh, enough uh, you know good good size for sixty people. Then we went up to seventy seven. People wanted to come. They really liked That's the great. idea. So it it sold out. So my 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 promise to everybody who has emailed me and tweeted me and said hey I want to come and tried to come and they can't come. It really sold out with patrons. It's basically all patrons uh, that are that are coming. Is this another the plug next for patrons one, by the way? Is that the next the next one? <laughs> And now, I really, gonna, see, now I really kill you now. He's going to use this. Right. As the this is the one that'll be in court. This episode. We'll do another. Yeah. I'll do another one. And I got a request for you to do one. Uh, a, a Zeke's thing on the east side somewhere. Is we're going to do one. Okay. We're going to do a lot of them. All right. I just we, we, we've entered for me personally. This is too much information. Nobody cares. We've now entered, as you know, the youth basketball kind of revving up lots oh, of tournaments yeah. and stuff one of the reasons i couldn't watch the seattle baltimore game on sunday from the beginning at the right time so i have to be i know zeke's is waiting and i know that dan black is waiting and it's you know i gotta be i gotta be dad first once i find out what his schedule is on a week-to-week basis we will kind of weave in some viewing parties uh to a to an ankle injury are you are you intrigued by Mr. Nick Saban having to play a few games without his his quarterback, or don't you care? 
No, I definitely care. Yeah. I, I root against everything Alabama. I mean, who doesn't at this point, right? So you're kind of happy that Although, he hurt his ankle. I'm sure his backup is probably some five-star. Should be. Yeah, should be, right? He's probably got four, four two is sitting on the bench. They play, they play LSU in two weeks or three weeks. And maybe he'll be back. Maybe he won't oh, be he'll back. he'll be back for that. for that one. He'll be back. Okay. So yeah. Forget it. No, he's definitely going to be there back. Go. How got? about the Tiger Woods book deal? Are you excited to read Tiger Woods' book to hear, yes, hear his I will side read of it? I've read the, the main one. There's There's been a billion Tiger Woods' book, but I read the one by Armin Katay and the really, really profound one that uh, that uh, there was more research done on that book. It's it, it's in the last year or two that came out. It's called Tiger Woods or Tiger. I can give it to you if you want to read it. But yes, I will read Tiger Woods' version of the story. I'm really I don't curious. Know that, I don't know that I will like it because I don't know that he has it in him to really let, let the wall down, let the window mm. down and let us in. But if he's willing to do that, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to hear it. Yeah, I'm curious, too. I want to hear the, the golf club on the back of the window. I want to hear that whole night, how that all went down, because we just sort of know what we hear. I want to hear it from his perspective. See, you were traveling, so you're don't have my. you not going to have knowledge of my next topic. Did you even see the replay of the gadget play that Chris Peterson ran on their first kickoff? Have you seen it? I, I haven't seen it, but I, I heard about somebody laying down and getting penalized. So go ahead, explain it to me. So Chico McClatcher yes. was lined up at the goal line. They kicked away from him. They kicked uh, to the uh, to the other corner of the end zone, and he, when the ball was kicked, ran kind of took two steps back and laid down with his purple uniform in the purple Washington end zone to try to to try to camouflage him. He literally okay. laid down while the ball was in the air. Ball was in the air, <laughs> laid down yeah. so that no one would see him. Yeah. Guy caught the ball on the other side, and then he got up and they threw it across to him, and he oh. ran fifty yards. And they drew a 15-yard. They drew a penalty, an unsportsmanlike penalty. It's a. I, I never knew that. I know obviously Chris Peterson and his staff didn't know it either. But apparently, it's it's become in the last couple of years illegal to hide a player. God. They literally. But I. But did they really hide the player? Right. It's not like he hid behind, like he was on the sideline. He went. They cam because his jersey kind of fit in with the Washington end zone, so you couldn't really see him. And then he got up and they threw him. The ball. I thought it was in. G- I thought it was in. G- I loved it. It is. I mean, I've seen plays where guys stand on the sideline, like act like they're they're on the sideline, just kind of with their arms folded, and then yeah. they'll, they'll get the ball. Yeah. So I don't know how this is any different. That's yeah. weird. Yeah. Yeah. I like Chris, Chris Peterson for trying to be creative. I appreciate yeah. it, but he, yeah, you should learn the rule book at some point. How about, right? how about winning the game? Yeah, that would be nice too. Yeah. Because of Tropical Storm Imelda, Durham Elementary School, I don't know if you saw this, was flooded and kids were in it, like in the school at the time. And they had to walk across benches over the, this standing water with their little lunch boxes. Because really? it just got. Where was this? It was in Texas, out, yeah. outside yeah. of Houston. Yeah. And uh, so there's like little kids are holding their little lunch boxes, heading yeah. to the cafeteria. Yeah. Deshaun Watson heard the story and bought 18 pairs of new shoes for kids in need. So well, Deshaun, Deshaun Watson's one of the all time sweet fellows in sports. Well, there you go. I like to give we him a little him. shout out for it. We love him. Yeah. There you go. But he's still not the athlete of the week. He, you're not suggesting no. that he should beat out my yeah. my athlete of the week. Four-time cancer survivor? Yeah, it's yeah. going to be tough to beat. Did you see this? Did you see the Sooner Schooner go down? I did see the Sooner did Schooner. Did you laugh? I, it looked dangerous, though. Did it, you laugh? Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> but I actually felt sorry for the horses. Once I saw the horses were okay, I loved it. How about it. the blonde? Did she go down hard? Yeah. Did she roll? I know. That was a pretty acrobatic move. As soon as I, I'm, the, I'm the guy who, like, starts to giggle and I want to make sure that everybody's okay and I look and I look at the horses and then I look at her and I see her trying to get up and everything and then I just lose it. <laughs> yeah, once everyone's fine, I, ju- <laughs> I, ju- I just lose it. That thing looks very top heavy. I'm not. I'm surprised it hasn't happened more. Put on your list 
based on the Sooner Schooner, remind me why I wanted to, because I won't remember why I want to tell you. On our next episode, I still haven't told the story of Casey Jones at Echo Falls Golf Course. Oh, I don't think I know this. I have a story about Casey Jones. This is a long Celtic Sonic coach? Yeah. Along the the same lines (laughs) of the boomers, of the Sooner Schooner going down. All right. Casey Jones in my foursome, the revered Casey Jones. Sure. Kind of the prestigious and classy Casey Jones on a wet day, summer day at Echo Falls, went down hard. All right, save the story. Save the story. (laughs) Went down hard. (laughs) And I was was standing there and it was the funniest thing, but I, I was worried that this might have been it for Casey. Yeah. It was so hard that it, I was like oh, worried I was going to take him to the hospital. Yeah, it's hard not to laugh to <laughs> laugh at first. I'm wondering if the Sooner Schooner, if it's becoming more harm than good. You remember yeah. the whole incident when Hugh Millen was on, was playing for UW when they came out and they got no. a penalty flag and, no. and they ended up... Have they, never, up have they the never rolled the Sooner Schooner? Has it never gone down before? Have, it has to have been. That thing looks really well, unstable. They, that was a sharp turn. Did you see the turn the guy was trying to make? It <laughs> yeah. was a pretty sharp turn. Well, yeah, okay, I only have one more, so I'll let you, let you have the floor. DK Metcalf, I love the guy. Yeah. I love the guy, yeah. but seeing him kind of like sitting on the turf reaching out trying to scoop the ball he just oh. fumbled with the pacifier Looked in his like mouth me. it just like oh, oh you don't like the pa- you're, you're gonna, I'm back to the pacifier you're back to the pacifier he, everybody he, loves that you're the only person oh am I like yeah have you checked Twitter am oh, I the only one oh because he do they not like it after the fumble or what I think it typically goes that way okay. it's cute when he's doing well but okay but when he's sitting there like a toddler on his butt trying okay. to scoop a fumble he okay. lost it's like all right can we just be football players, everybody? Again, do I need to bring up Lyle Alzado? What if you hand Lyle, Lyle Alzado, a tough guy, a pacifier? A mouthpiece. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> right. Spit out his teeth. Right. Uh, I only have one left. All right. I heard over the week that it came out that your buddy Drake, do you know who Drake is? I do, yes. He's a big fan of the... Well, I'll pick the team of the week. The, no, Toronto Raptors. All right, I thought he's he sort of fan. went around and was No, like, he's a big fan of the Toronto Raptors. Okay. It turns out that when the Raptors faced the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference playoffs last year, the Greek freak Milwaukee, sure, yeah. there's a big fan, rapper fan of the Milwaukee Bucks who made a six-figure wager with Drake on the outcome of the series. The guy's name is Gucci Mane. Do you know Gucci sure. Mane? Yeah, yeah. What do you know about Gucci Mane? I'm familiar with him. <laughs> Are you a fan of That's it? That's it. No, I don't know. I couldn't name one Would song. Would you believe I've heard of Gucci that Mane. I'm a huge fan of Gucci Mane? <laughs> oh, no. Is this going to be you rapping again? Rockstar lifestyle might don't make it. Okay. L- living life high every day, click wasted. Sipping on purple stuff, rolling up stanky. Wake up in the morning, 10 o'clock, drinking. Party, party, party. Let's all get wasted. Shake it for me, baby girl. Do it butt naked. I'm so wasted. She's so wasted. Shout the bartender. Send 20 more cases. That's my Gucci Mane. That's called wasted. That's it's on my it's on my uh, my phone. I'm underneath the table with my microphone. Everybody, <laughs> just like, want to know what happened to me? I literally had to crawl under the table to be, when I heard that. Come on, Gucci Mane, yeah, some Gucci Mane, some wasted. Maybe this could be your song that you can memorize because I said everybody has to have one rap song. That's my song. I just the, that was I did that all based on memory. Oh, I didn't know that. That's very very talented of you. Great job. All right. I guess I'm out, but last episode, we talked about work done, being a great guy. I don't know if we really yeah, got yeah. into it. Oh, yeah, we do, because he keeps building houses for people. Right. 173? Yeah, we talked about we, it. We did talk about yeah. it. It was kind of last minute. I didn't know if he got his due. I want to make sure he gets his due. He's He is a hell of a sweet guy. Yeah. He and Deshaun Watson. But they're not going to eclipse no. my guy. They can't. No. 
four-time cancer survivor, 14 surgeries, and countless God. chemotherapy sessions. Starting at 14 years old, by the way. And just a, a, a just a nondescript holding of the football, laces out on an extra point. Never was there a more important point scored in college football. Are you ready? I'm ready. Do you want to know who it's named after? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Number 62. Yeah. 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 12 seasons. Six Pro Bowls. Four All-Pros, Hall of Fame center of the 1972 Miami Dolphins. I have no idea. I was going to say Dwight Stevenson, but 1972. he's... 1972. What was me. special about 1972 there, Hotshot? Oh. oh. Did the team go 12-0 that year? Let's go 14-0. Oh, with the playoffs, yeah. No, let's go 14-0 in the regular okay, season. All right. Then let's go three more in the postseason. Ooh. Let's become the only professional franchise <laughs> to go undefeated and untied from beginning to end of a football, basketball, or baseball season. Ladies and gentlemen, and just so you know, that when the last team, this is a tradition you may not remember from the old radio show, when the last undefeated team, I guess it's going to be the Patriots, finally loses a game, and they will lose a game, we will be drinking on the podcast. Oh, to celebrate. To gotcha. celebrate, gotcha. as the Dolphins do. They all have a glass of champagne when there's no undefeateds left. I did love that against the Bears when the old Dolphins showed up, and they were like kind of trolling the Bears, like taunting them, like rooting for it. Not on the sidelines yeah. in a coat. It was so great. I loved it. 1972 center, 12 seasons, six Pro Bowls, Jeez. four All-Pros, Hall of Fame center. His name was Jim Langer. May he rest in peace. Jim Langer. The, the center of the 1972 undefeated and untied Miami Dolphins. Episode Jim Langer is in the books.